Hello, friends. Hey, thanks for coming on by and hanging out with me for a little while. Uh, hopefully, you know why you're here. <laughs> Today is uh, Merge Worlds Night. Uh, so we have a little bit of uh, Merge Worlds, the Dungeons & Dragons story adventure uh, that we're going to dive into today. I'm very excited. Um, I have been spending the last hour and a half uh, rereading and going over the next chapter that we'll be beginning tonight. I'm excited to share it. We'll give a couple minutes for people to show up and then I'll do our recap, of course. <laughs> so I am uh, pretty excited. Um, this next chapter we're entering into, uh, especially in the early part, probably has the most direct reading that I've ever had. Uh, so there'll be a lot of me reading to you the same things I read to them uh, back in the back in the day, if you will. Uh, so there'll be a decent amount of reading and setting up the story. So hopefully you all find this uh, entertaining. I know that this uh, this chapter is a little bit different um, than anything I had done previously. Um, and I think you guys should probably pick up on what that is pretty quickly, uh, but we'll know it uh, as of by the end of today. So thank you for coming by and letting me share my story with you. This is, of course, my favorite night of the week. Uh, and the favorite thing I get to do on the channel is to uh, share this long, long story. And we are surprisingly closer than I thought to reaching the end of the adventure as it was ever played at which point we'll be stepping into the adventure that never got to be, where I get to tell the story of how this continued. So uh, long, lots of story left, but we're almost to the part where I'll be telling you new stuff that no one's ever heard. So um, I didn't realize quite how close we were to that, so I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, but today we're going to begin with a little bit of reading to set the stage. Um, in case you are wondering, this adventure section we're stepping into, this chapter, if you will, uh, is approximately four to six months after the last one ended. So if you'll remember, um, the qu last quest was to save Michael. If you weren't here, uh, Michael's soul was trapped inside the broken artifact Menandra, and our heroes had gone on this almost year-long quest around the world and into different planes in order to save him. And at the end of that adventure, returning home, um, <clears throat> Dandy and Michael had decided to leave and go to New Light, New Light's home, which is basically the home, uh, the city, if not the fort, castle city of the Knights of the Light, who are uh, not paladins specifically, although they sometimes have a paladin in their rank. Uh, they are primarily just knights of good. Uh, but they're very rigid and they don't really, not a real happy fan of um, mages and that kind of magic because um, it's too close to evil for them. Uh, Darsh had returned home to uh, begin what would hopefully be a new trade agreement with the dwarves of Kroniar and Artemis and Mercy got to keep going on in serenity as they normally do. Um, so this takes us at between four and six months after that. Not a horrendous long time, um, but a bit of a chunk there. I like this adventure because this part here, um, very, very quickly, 
I'm going to be introducing a lot of new NPCs uh, that are going to be part of our characters' lives moving forward as they are growing in both fame, popularity, wealth, and power. Uh, more and more people will come into their lives <laughs> for good and bad. Um, and we're going to get to see a bunch of those uh, tonight. And so a lot of times I will breeze into them and give a quick brief who they are. But for the characters, they've already been there a while. For you guys, they'll seem new. So uh, hopefully you'll pick up on some of those because many of them will be with us for a long time. And some of them, maybe not so much. Does that sound, does that sound ominous? Didn't mean to make that sound quite as ominous as it did. What I more meant like some characters just may not be hanging out all the time. Or they could die. I mean, I don't know. Who knows what happens, right? Barely do I know what happens in this place. I'm just kidding. If you are hanging out today and you have a good time, please remember to click like. Most importantly, please remember to hit subscribe to the channel. Um, if anyone out there does click like, subscribe, join a member, or make a donation tonight, there will not be any little pop-ups on the screen. I've had to disable that about 45 minutes ago. Uh, it started giving me notifications for every donation I've ever received over and over again. And once it had gone through them all, it kept going again. So I'm not sure what's up with that. I've had to turn off the uh, notifications. Um, I'll still see them on my end, but we won't get the little pop-up picture and notification on the screen. So I apologize uh, for that. I've got to figure out what's going on. <laughs> Literally just happened 45 minutes ago and I was reading the story. and I, have, I read really far into this story. It had been a while since I'd devoted to this section, uh, and I hadn't read this far ahead in a while, so I was kind of excited to reread some of the stuff. Not going to lie, got choked up in a couple moments, because uh, I remember how, how they played out, so hopefully you'll enjoy the story as well. On a little slight aside, for the first time in many years, uh, I actually got to play some Merge Worlds today. Earlier this morning, uh, some friends came over to the house, and joined my wife and I into some Dungeons & Dragons. Also, my first time running a 5th edition campaign. Um, so I've always played 2nd edition, and this is me feeling out 5th edition because I would like to bring some active live role-playing content to the channel in the future. Uh, so figuring out how 5th edition works, because that's what everybody knows how to play. I'm, uh, I've played 2nd for 30 years, but I realize it's time for me to jump ahead and, and, and get into 5th edition, because that's what most people know. Uh, so you will uh, hopefully hear some of that soon. But it was good. Uh, it was both my friends and my wife's first time ever playing Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, so it was exciting to kind of introduce them to that. Um, and maybe, as their story does take place on Words World, maybe one day snippets of them will arrive in our story as well. But I'm going to go ahead and start jumping into the new stuff. Uh, so hopefully, you know, you're okay with that. Um, hopefully you came for the story, right? Give me a second. I got this awesome new mouse, uh, and it, it charges up really well. Uh, but I do struggle just a smidgety smidge getting it on the charger. I'm just not used to it yet. Okay, so. Again, as you remember, everybody returned home. Everybody had a happy ending, except one person. Uh, <laughs> and somebody said that I like to pick on Artemis, and I will have you know that was true. Uh, but, you know, it's not always planned. Uh, her situation kind of puts her at the forefront of uh, getting picked on. You know, I don't have a lot of choice there. I'm going to begin again by, like I said, introducing and reading snip, uh, parts of the story. These may take a few minutes. They're a little bit long, but they're introductions to what the characters are doing. Much as I had an exit story or reading for each of the characters at the end of the campaign, I now have one to start. And as I was moving along in 
this story and I was DMing it more and more, that happened more and more often where I had a chapter I would read to them to end and a chapter that would beginning and set the stage. Uh, they really, you know, playing with the group that I played with for the longest time, really enjoyed that. And they know to me, they liked it when I would narrate parts of their lives that they didn't actually get to play through the, the, the in-between adventures, if you would. Um, so I started putting a little bit more into that between adventures per their request and it always went over really well. So hopefully you guys like some of that stuff as well. I do have one set-aside story that doesn't take place in anywhere within the campaign. It's kind of a in-between story. Um, it was a Halloween-themed story uh, that was part of this. At the end of this chapter, I'm going to take one night to just tell that story because it was a... When we, we took a pause on the campaign and then played this out on Halloween because I always try to do something Halloween-themed. Um, Obviously, it's not Halloween anytime soon, so I will work that in once we finish this campaign. But I'd forgotten that happened in the middle of this. I've chaptered enough for ten minutes. I'm now going to go ahead and read into the story. Hopefully, you guys like what's going on. And the name of the beginning of this first chapter is Setting the Stage. Darsh loved the smell of the sea. The salty air always reminded him of home and freedom. He loved the spray of the water on his face and the sounds of the waves breaking against the rocky shore. Kronayar had become a home to Darsh and his wife over the past year. Their business was booming, and Darsh had become an important figure. He was now a member of the Merchants Guild of both Paxwall and Kronayar. Looking away from the vast blue sea, Darsh's eyes came to rest on his new ship. Only a few weeks from completion, it was his pride and joy. A marvel of human, minotaur, and elven design, there wasn't another ship like her, both faster and stronger than the Morgenstern, which is his current big ship. Um, it was to be his flagship. Darsh couldn't wait to get her out on the water. With a final look, Darsh turned and headed back to, the, to his horses. Standing next to them was Jorn, his personal assistant. The young Minotaur was only 14 years old, but since he'd been hired by Lyra several months ago, he'd become indispensable to Darsh. He was intelligent, reliable, and trustworthy. His father had been a successful merchant as well, but only Jorn and his mother had come through during the merge. Lyra had been impressed with the young man immediately and knew he would make a perfect assistant to Darsh. "'Where to, sir?' says the young man, as he hands Darsh the reins to his horse." Home, Jorn, said Darsh. The Morgenstern should arrive within the week with our first shipment from Corman. We have much to prepare before we unveil our new dwarven goods to the public. Mounting their horses, the two made their way from the shore towards the Fohammer family store. As they passed, Darsh saw several patrons in the store. Moving on through the streets of Kronayar, Darsh is greeted by as many people as ignore him. His close ties to lesser races was still not accepted by many of the Minotaurs of Kroniar, yet they seemed to have no problem buying goods from him. Totally takes about 30 minutes to reach the Fohammer estate. Darsh had it built for Lyra soon after they were married, and Darsh dismounts and hands the reins to Jorn, who leads the horses to the stables. Darsh has barely taken two steps before he was under attack. He was outnumbered and quickly he was pushed to the ground as the monsters swarmed atop of him. Rook, Sierra, leave your poor uncle alone, came Sasha's voice from the door. Both children giggled and ran back to their mother. 
Darsh climbed back to his feet, wiping the grass from his clothes. I swear, Darsh, you're worse than the children sometimes, she scolded him. With a big grin, Darsh embraced her. Sarsh was the mother of the children and the wife of Rokar, Darsh's cousin, and the second mate of his ship, the Morgenstern. Darsh, still grinning, followed her into the home. Sasha told him that Lyra was feeling better but was napping. Lyra had been feeling ill for a few days and Sasha had been there helping take care of her. Darsh decided not to bother her and instead made his way into his office. Sitting down in his chair, Darsh can only roll his eyes at the stacks of papers and scrolls awaiting his attention. He was a warrior, damn it, not a clerk. Sighing, Darsh reached for the, first, uh, for the closest stack, reminding himself how much work needed to be done before the Morgenstern returned home. Next one. Dandy moved quietly through the forest, stalking her prey. Slowly and purposefully, she creeped from tree to tree. With her hoopack in one hand and a dagger in the other, she was a deadly shadow in the night. Listening carefully, she could hear Michael moving not far away. She was proud of how quietly he moved. She'd been teaching him stealth techniques, and he had greatly improved. Dandy froze next to a large oak tree. She had seen movement up ahead through the trees. After a few moments, she began moving again towards her target. Finally, Dandy reached her destination. Just ahead, she could see the shuffling bodies moving away from her. She moved closer and into the best position to strike. After a moment, she could finally hear soft footsteps moving quickly and knew Michael was on the move. That was her sign, and Dandy also moved quickly forward, releasing her dagger. It was over in just a moment. Both Dandy and Michael moved with synchronized experience, and in just a few seconds, the undead corpses of six zombies and a zombie lord lie at their feet, lifeless once more. Wiping the icor from her clothes, Dandy couldn't help but say, You know, I had that big one. You didn't have to step in. Smiling, Michael responded, I just thought you might need a little help. He was awfully big. I'm just saying, retorted Dandy, I had him. Just because he's big doesn't mean he's tough. Oh, he's like, I fought lots of big things, and let me tell you, the bigger they are, the easier they splatter. Did I ever tell you about the time I almost nearly single-handedly defeated a dragon lich in a book? I know the book part makes it not sound very scary, but let me tell you, mister, it was pretty ginormous. Why, if I remember correctly, Darsh fainted like three times that fight. I can't begin to tell you how many times I've had to save that man. You know, there was this one time in this temple... Her voice trails off into another story as she re retrieved her daggers and checked the bodies for any valuables. Michael just smiled and let her go, taking comfort in her voice. Menander had already told him there were no more undead around, but Michael kept an eye out for any living threat that still may be in the area. That's all of them, says Dandy. Not one interesting thing on their stinky bodies. It was clear she was saddened by the discovery. No worries, love, replied Michael. In a week's time, we'll be at the kingdom, and I'm sure we'll find lots of new things to look at there. Dandy squealed in excitement. Gathering their things, they continued their journey northeast towards their destination, the kingdom of Firemoon. It had been several years since Dandy had been there, and Michael never had. They had decided it would be an interesting trip before heading south to Arjuel and retrieving the Miss Dandelion, Dandy's ship. From there, it was off to Kronayar to visit Darsh. The trip had fallen a couple days behind schedule with the discovery of the zombie lord, but they couldn't continue on without dealing with it. Hunting undead was what they did, 
and they were very good at it. Michael and Dandy were traveling on foot, which Dandy preferred. The world was always more interesting when you found your feet on the open road. Life had been good for them lately. Michael had become much more like his old, old self. He still wanted to fight and rid the world of undead, of course, but it was no longer his soul-driving passion. He was seeing the joy in the world again, and most importantly, he smiled more. Nothing made Dandy happier than seeing Michael smile. They'd had few adventures since they left Pappy Gunther in, back in New Light. New Light Keep. Mostly the road had been easy. According to Dandy's map, they were only a week away from Firemoon, and both looked forward to seeing their old friends. The next few days went by without incident. The weather was nice, like a late spring. Finally, the pair saw farmland in the distance and knew they had reached the edge of the kingdom. Smiling, Michael took Dandy's hand, and the two of them walked down the small hill towards the kingdom of Firemoon. Number three. Perry, Perry, thrust, Perry. No, no, you have to keep your eyes on my blades and my body. Mercy took a drink from her flask, watching the scene unfold before her. Again, said Ulrich sternly. Flynn moved quickly, swinging with his sword. He did much better this time, and he made it almost 20 whole seconds before he was on his back again. You have to watch my feet, explained Ulrich, helping the young man up, and my shoulders. You have to read my movements and know how I'm going to strike before I do. Yes, sir, replied Flynn, a bit embarrassed. Ulrich put his arm around the young man and said, You did much better today, though. I've seen much improvement. Now, go wash up before dinner. Grinning at the compliment, Flynn looked to Mercy, who nodded, giving him permission to leave. As the lad ran off to see about his chores, Ulrich walked over and dunked his head in a barrel of water, rinsing himself off. Um, the boy worked you this morning. You're getting slow, came a deep voice behind Mercy, followed by laughter from several male voices. Mercy, laughing also, turned to see several of her knights who'd also been watching. Care to see how slow I've gotten, Seamus? asked Ulrich mockingly, a smile on his face. Seamus held his large hands in front of him in mock surrender. No, sir, I've made that mistake before. Again, everyone laughed. Quan, who was sitting on a tree branch above them, commented, Yeah, but we never tire of seeing your big arse knocked out. Everyone laughed even harder as Seamus took a swipe at Quan, who easily dodged it. Mercy couldn't help but smile as she watched the camaraderie of her knights. Ulrich and Seamus, Quan, Seth and Wade all stood around enjoying each other's company. Her other two knights, Devon and Lars, were currently visiting one of the local towns on the outskirts of Serenity, her kingdom. Things have been very peaceful as of late. Things were going well, even the secret agreement they had made with the rebellion of Oromon. Over the past several months, multiple former slaves have been smuggled into Serenity. Most chose to continue to run and get as far away from Oromon as possible. Mercy saw they were fed, clothed, and given supplies before seeing them on their way. Others chose to stay and try to build new lives. And again, Mercy helped them get started and welcomed them as new citizens of Serenity. Mercy and her knights made their way back to Serenity Keep, chatting and talking on their way. Reaching the main chamber, they found dinner waiting, and together the heroes all sat down to their meal. Mercy couldn't be happier. Peace ruled the land, she had her friends, but most importantly, things between her and Ulrich were wonderful. Overall, everything was as close to perfect as possible. Mercy and her knights ate and talked, laughing at each other's stories. 
Then suddenly the great doors opened, and in walked Lars and Debon. The knights were greeted by the cheers of their friends, all except Mercy and Ulrich, who very quickly shared a look. They were back early, and both had noticed the look of concern on the other men's faces. Lars and Debon walked up before Mercy, placing their right hand on their hearts in salute. Lady Mercy, spoke Lars, we have news. Speak, friends, replied Mercy. What's wrong? Nodding, Debon spoke, my lady, a group of forty knights of the light come towards Serenity from the southeast. We spoke with them and were told they are a delegation from the capital city of New Light. Traveling with them is a very high-ranked ambassador, and they will arrive within twenty-four hours. Mercy was caught completely by surprise. Serenity had never been contacted by the lights of the light before. Mercy was raised in a family of lights and had fought them to, found them to be too rigid. She had left find her own way, creating serenity in the image she had always wished that the, her, night, her father's knights had been. Mercy had worked with them several times since, though. Ulrich had once been a knight of the light himself, as had her friend Michael. Michael's uncle, Gunther, was the current leader of the Knights of the Light in New Light. I say light a lot in there. I probably should have changed that. He and his knights had helped Mercy and her friends many years ago at the Battle of Sacrifice against the forces of Nilat Firemoon. While a delegation of the Knights of Light was not necessarily a bad thing, it was not a very welcome one either. Mercy considered the knights a possible ally, but did not want their interference in serenity. Their rigid ways and hatred of magic could cause tension with the mage's tower on the other side of Serenity Lake, part of her kingdom and her allies. Still, Mercy would not turn away those who came in peace. It was possible Lord Gunther himself could be among them, and she would not dishonor her family's name by turning them away. Mercy immediately began making arrangements. She called her cook and gave orders to prepare a great feast. The hall was to be cleaned and decorated with room and uh, for her guests. Mercy's knights each went to see to their own duties, preparing serenity for the visitors. Each was determined that these knights should be impressed by the home they were helping to build. As Mercy sent Flynn to see that her armor was polished and prepared, she could not shake the feeling of dread building inside of her. She didn't know why the Knights of the Lights were coming but she could, couldn't help but feel it could only lead to trouble. And number four. Artemis couldn't help but feel pity at the sight before her. She had witnessed many frightening and horrifying things in her lifetime. She had seen men torn asunder by forces so evil they could stop your heart with fear. She had seen innocent lives stolen before their time. But as she watched Draven battling his opponent, she could only feel pity for the man she loved. Draven was one of the most powerful beings she had ever met, but now he was facing the one opponent that could truly defeat him. I swear, Artemis, what are you feeding him? He cried in despair. Draven hated changing Seraph's diaper. His incredibly sensitive sense of smell made the chore nearly intolerable. Artemis and Tevin both broke into laughter at the look of pure frustration on Draven's face. Even Lucas chuckled as he tended the fire. The four of them were sitting in the woods several days' travel from the Temple of Serenity. 
There was a small wooden home built against a rocky outcropping nearby, and a slow, gentle stream flowed nearby as well, and the woods around the area was lush and green. This was the place that Draven and Tevin called home. While welcome in the temple and serenity, Draven felt very out of place, so they did not live there. This was much to the relief of many of the temple's residents who found Draven's, Draven's presence unsettling. This was Artemis's first trip to this location, and she found it peaceful and comforting. Lucas, of course, had insisted on coming along as well for protection. <clears throat> as for anyone in the temple knew, Artemis was locked in her quarters for a week of prayer and fasting with Seraph and Lucas for protection. Only Miasha and Mercy knew of her trip north. Everyone felt it was safer for them that way. <clears throat> no one had seen the man in the hat since that night months ago, but he rarely left Artemis's thoughts. Knowing there was someone out there who could get by even Draven's defenses gave her no end of worry. Lucas's well had been affected, and the security of the temple had been drastically increased. Artemis now never went anywhere without an escort. Draven had been gone for long intervals as well. He hated leaving the area and Artemis alone, but he'd been reaching out to his contacts in hope of finding out who the man in the hat was. So far, he'd come up with nothing. It was nice to get out of the temple and be alone, thought Artemis, as she watched Draven playing with Seraph. Seraph always seemed to know when Draven was around before anyone else did, even Artemis, and was always drawn to him. We will need to leave early in the in the morrow, my lady, said Lucas, voice breaking into her thoughts. Artemis smiled and said, I know, it'll be nice to get home, but I shall miss our time here dearly. Do not fret, darling, said Draven. You will, be have, you will have many opportunities to come back. Smiling Artemis could only nod back. She enjoyed her life very much, though it seemed she was always busy. Running a temple, being a mother, and constantly traveling with her friends on one quest or another to save the world did not allow for a lot of downtime. Here in Draven's Grove, though, she finally felt she could rest. As the sun went down, the group moved inside the small building. While it was small, it was very comfortable. There was a large common room with a stone fireplace and small cooking area. Both Tevin and Draven had their own sleeping quarters, and Draven had built a small crib in his room for Sarah. <clears throat> the evening passed by as everyone talked and enjoyed each other's company. Tevin prepared a meal and Seraph played with Draven's wolves. By the way, I probably haven't mentioned that. Draven's got some wolves. It popped up in the, the previous story. But I forgot to mention. It was a nice end to a nice trip. Finally, everyone made their way to their rooms to sleep. Lucas unrolled his blankets in the common room, sleeping on the floor next to the hearth. In their room, Artemis and Draven lay, uh, lay a sleepy seraph in bed and then lay down together. I wish it could always be like this, Artemis said wistfully. One day, my darling, it will be, Draven replied, wrapping his strong arms around her. One day we'll be together all the time as a family should. For no, now, though, you have responsibilities to the people of Serendi, and in the temple you and Seraph are safest. There are things out there that wish harm to those I love, and I cannot rest until they've been dealt with. I know, she said. I just wish it was all over. I want to know he'll be safe. I know, love. I know, Draven replied. Eventually Artemis drift off to sleep, but her dreams were filled with dark shadows. So, uh, I'm in a D&D &D club, and I'm, I'm doing it tonight, and I enjoy listening. Oh, excellent! <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming by and enjoying it. <laughs>
So that was the intro to this chapter, kind of setting everything up. One thing you're going to notice very, very quickly is a lot of these guys are not close to each other. And that caught the players by surprise, because I'd never done that before. Everybody gets a bit of their own story. So as I was DMing this, normally two of the stories would happen in a night, um, bouncing back and forth, and the next time I would do two of the other stories. I'd had situations before where they split in half, Artemis and Dandy out with Draven, and Mercy and Darsh in Oramon. This is the first time that each one of them was out doing some things kind of on their own. And it's going to seem like that doesn't and does happen, but it was an interesting thing to experience. We're going to start with Dandy. Her and Michael arrived in the kingdom of Fire Moon early to midday. As they're making their way into the city, Dandy, who'd been here before, had already noticed how big it was. Fire Moon had always been a big kingdom. Well, not the size of, um, let's say, Paxawal or anything like that. Uh, it was always bigger than Serenity. Closer to Oramon's size. Not Oramon. Arduel. Which is where King Christopher is. Got the wrong A word, Arduel. Um, which also makes sense as Fire Moon's closer to that than almost anything else. Um, they managed to make it to the castle, and when they arrive, they, there's a, at the front gate of the actual keep itself after they've passed through the city, uh, where no one gives a second look to them. While Dandy may be a Kender, you'll remember that one of Rafe's best friends is Thickaway Tricklebush, who is also a Kender. So it's not rare to see a Kender in the Kingdom of Fire Moon, and Rafe would not tolerate them being mistreated purely for who they are. <clears throat> they earn it. That's different, of course. Once they reach the... Uh, reach there and they tell you they are, a runner is sent to notify them, and another person takes them to, as an escort. So they know who they are. They've been kind of expecting them. They pop up from time to time. And Michael and Dandy are taken to a comfortable room Maybe there's some big tables there, some couches, a fire in the hearth already. It's late afternoon, but it's, like I said, a, a, a late spring, so it still gets a little chillier at night. Um, they're not in there very long, sitting down comfortably before two people enter the room to join them. One of them was Thickaway Tricklebush, the Kender himself, who uh, always happy to see Dandy. Dandy as well, happy to see him, immediately hopped up, gave each other a hug, and before anything else happened, started talking about adventures and sharing what cool things they had in their pouches, and sometimes forgetting anyone else around them would just go off on tangents for hours. Next to Thickaway was another man, not much taller, although this man was human. Smallsius Early, also wearing the clothing and rank of his position as an ambassador and general in Firemoon's army, Make sure to come up and see Michael, who's also short for a human. This is a room full of short people, really. Uh, Michael was short for a human. Smallsius is even shorter than Michael, to be honest. A bunch of shorties here. I didn't think about that. <laughs> but there was. They advise that Rafe will be here soon. He's speaking with some uh, merchants dealing with an issue in, 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 for trade and such. and He'll be along shortly. But they've come to join them and, and talk. And they had some time to just kind of hang out, tell their s stories and such. Um, this is Michael's first time here, even though he'd met Thickaway and Smallsius on other outside adventures and other places, they'd never been here. So they hear a lot of the story about Fire Moon, and Dandy had told what she knew, 
And Smallsius and Thickaway kind of tell a little bit more about the history and how Rafe ended up becoming the king here, as well as their adventures fighting Nylat back in the day. Michael was there for a chunk of that, but didn't really know a lot of the early stuff, other than what he'd heard second and third hand. These people were there and could be a lot more detailed. Talking about friends lost and friends missed. Um, so they hang out there for probably about 30, 40 minutes until finally Rafe arrives. But he's not alone. He brings with him his wife, Michelle. You'll remember the last time Dandy was here was for their wedding. That was before they traveled northeast on a favor from Rafe to try to find out what was harassing these fishing towns he was trying to open up trade agreements with. And that's where they found the sea demon and they found the treasure chest. Guy, the guy who told where the, the evil lich pirate was, how Darsh found Darstopia. All that was based on that last adventure several years ago when they came through. Long before they went to the source. Boy, am I glad I brought another drink. I'm thirsty today. But the two of them are not alone as well, because with them is their son, Deacon. Rafe and Michelle had a child six months earlier, the eldest, well, the only son, I should say, and the crown prince of the kingdom of Firemoon, Deacon Firemoon. Again, he's only six months old. Uh, Danny's like, ah, baby, and just like there's some thick away, thick away's like, I know, baby, because Kendra's just love babies. And they're all over there hanging with that. And uh, Michael, who gets to really, he's met Rafe before, he's fought at his side, but he's never really met Michelle and all that kind of stuff. That was while Michael was out missing looking when he found himself in Menandra. A lot of callbacks here. But the evening is spent chatting and hanging out and telling stories, Michael and Dandy talking about the undead they'd found just a day or so away, which troubles um, Rafe and uh, you know his allies there. They're like, what? That close? They're like, we dealt with them, but you may want to keep an eye out because zombie lords rarely are alone. Uh, well, they were like, thank you for bringing this to our attention. Uh, we did not realize, but more importantly, thank you for dealing with them. You're sure there's no more? And Michael nods. He goes, there, were none, there was none within a quarter mile of where we stood at the time. Uh, whether there's more somewhere else in your land, I see no signs of them, but I can't speak for 100% certainty. Rafe's like, I will definitely make sure I send, uh, make the military militia folks, the Knights of Firemoon, which is his elite force, aware of this, and we will start sending people out um, in waves to see if we can, like patrols, see if we can find any other signs or issues. They give some information on where that was. They're going to go there. Like, they've already dealt with the bodies, but just to make sure, burn them, that kind of stuff. But the evening goes along pretty well, and they're invited to stay there for a little while um, and, and, and rest. They've been traveling for now many months since the last time they sat and just stayed anywhere. So they decide to spend at least a few days to a week or so uh, here in the Kingdom of Firemoon with friends uh, and you know, shopping and exploring new stuff and things of that nature. Dandy, really, really, really excited to visit Thickaway's house. If you remember, I mentioned this before, Thickaway's house is built into a very thick tree. It's like a big, thick tree, very short, but fat tree. Um, and it's two stories. There's the first store when you go in, and there's a basement. In the basement, it has been enchanted. Uh, it actually has, it's like walking into a forest with a roof. There's plants growing in there. There's a river going through. It's almost like Merge Worlds itself shoved a chunk in his basement, but... Thickaway had used uh, many enchantments, uh, favors from mages, and even a wish or two to create this perfect little environment in his basement where his collection lived. And his collection were critters. He has kitties, and he has deer, and bunnies. And he's always coming home with a new little critter to add to his little forest 
Um, but there's always enough plants and water and things growing in there for animals to live healthy and forever long. It's a good-sized basement. It's surprisingly large, magically so. Uh, but it's his magical basement where he keeps his critters. His first pet, he wished for a large battle cat. Uh, and what he got, or he yeah, actually a great battle cat. What he got was a little black kitten with a huge red bow that he could barely, the kitten could barely drag. And that kitten lived inside his little magical pouch until he finally built this house. Interesting side story on Thickaway. Thought I'd share that with you. So they decide to stay there for a while. Um, now we're going to step back over to Artemis. So everyone was up early at Draven's house and preparing for the trip back to the temple. Everyone's belongings were lowered into Artemis's magical chest of holding. Um, she also still has the flying carpet. A lot of times Dandy would take those things if needed, but in this last trip they left them with Artemis just to be on the safe side. Uh, finally everything was ready and Artemis looked around the small home, sad to be leaving, with the sire Artemis climbed down into the chest with Lucas and the baby. What was a several day trip back to the temple for a normal person was only a six to eight hour trip for Draven if he pushed himself. Um, they're not in there, which, you know, they have, he has to stop a couple times, let air in, let them know where they're going. We've talked about that before. But it's early in the afternoon when the chest opens once more and they climb out to find themselves in Artemis's quarters. Even though it's afternoon and daylight out there, Draven is the one person who relatively can get by the defenses, which still bugs Lucas. Lucas is always trying to find a way to catch Draven coming in and out. Because that's what he views as the real challenge of his security. But once again, Lucas climbs out a little frustrated, like, I got in again. And Draven can only smile. And his own little frustration, because if he can get through, somebody else might also. Draven stays with them for a while. Um, once the doors open, they go back out. Um, Let's see what we got here. Tevin did not come with them. Tevin stayed back at the Grove. He didn't really have a reason to come back in, um, so he stayed there. Uh, Draven uh, wishes Artemis a goodbye, doesn't stay very long, says that he's leaving. He's going to be out of town for just a couple of days um, because he, uh, what was it here? He had received some information that might be, might be uh, helpful in their search. Um, Artemis, uh, leaving the room, Lucas goes out to check in on the guards and what happened there and uh, sends another guard who is standing outside the door to go get Mara. You may remember Sister Mara was the young cleric that traveled with them when they first found these lands before it was officially Serenity. Her and Lucas are the ones that had the dreams that they should come with them. And while Mara itself is still a relatively low-rank cleric, she never aspired to be more, she has a lot of responsibility for taking care of this. Miyasha oversees everything. Um, but Mara is a bit more on a personal level. She deals with the actual clerics and the staffing as such. Where Miyasha deals with, you know, like cooks make sure food's going here and everybody's got clothes and the schedules for prayers and temples and all that kind of stuff. Mara deals with a little bit more smaller nature stuff. What's this prayer going to be about? We have Sunday school for the kids. She deals with that kind of stuff. But Mara is also one of the only one of the few people that Artemis trusts leaving Seraph in her hands. Uh, because again, Mara was sent here from a vision from their god. I mean, that's you're pretty trustworthy when your god says, okay, you and this girl are going to go save the world. You're going to put your faith in the other girl that God's sending with you. So Mara, she knows, is someone she could completely trust. Um, let's see what we got here. Um, 
Soon Miyasha comes to the room, happy to see that they're back again. Remember, Miyasha, the second in command of the entire temple, is the uh, uh, worrywart as well. She looks over everything when Artemis isn't around. Miyasha shows up and, of course, explains nothing really, nothing major to report. Um, there's a, a small notice that there were a few people in Moonbrook who've fallen ill recently, but that happens from time to time. You know, poor people in this medieval kind of thing. It wasn't no major thing. The whole city's not wiped out. Just a, a few people caught a bit of a cold, it would seem. Uh, so she sent a couple of clerics out yesterday to go see if they could help. There's already in Moonbrook a little bit of a temple there going on. All the towns have a temple of some size. Uh, Moonbrook's being one of the largest. She goes, well, I sent some of the, our more senior clerics to go and you know, see if they could offer any assistance. Artemis is like, excellent. Please keep me apprised of the situation. Um, there also, she says, she had just received word last night or from yesterday afternoon from the Keep that a group of Knights of the Light are going to be coming uh, or should arrive actually within the next few hours and wanted to make, us, uh, make them aware that that was going to happen. Artemis is like, oh, well, that's a pretty highball thing rolling in. Uh, that might be something that I should attend as well. Miyasha nods goes, I will send word to Lucas and make sure we have a huge group of guards to take you. And Artemis, Artemis is like, shakes, nods her head, goes, I know, I know, I can't leave with other group. I understand. <laughs> At the same time, whenever she is gone, she she got to go work. She can't kick the baby with her all the time, right? Although at this point... He's walking around a little bit. I mean, he's what? He's almost a year old? Okay, I'm not good with babies. I don't know if that's walking age or not. But, you know, he's stumbling around or leaning up or something. But, you know, he's, he's, he's over one, closer to, uh, probably closer to a year and a half at this point, now that I think about it, a year and a half to two. He's still in diapers. But at the end of diapers is kind of what I'm talking about. When you're almost done, when you're ready for potty training. However old that is. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> sorry to go off on a tangent. I don't know that much about kids. Um, let me see. Uh, buh, 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 buh. Artemis determines that she's going to go as well. She is going to go, so Mara is going to have a group of guards and such hang out here, Templars and such that don't hang outside. Um, let's see. Uh, she makes arrangements uh, in case any of the guests wish to come stay at the temple. They're knights of the light. They may want to, just in case anyone wants to come. You know, they just want to come by and you know, pray or be blessed, that kind of thing. They are holy knights. Definitely let's prepare for that situation. Um, she asks if Kelvin is there, and Miyasha says, no, Kelvin uh, left about a week or so ago. Uh, he actually was heading to uh, Kenderville. Remember his little new Kenderville that Dandy and Michael had found where Pappy Longfellow lives? Um, they had gone... He had gone up there to uh, check on the people and help with, uh, you know, it being, like I said, springtime. He wanted to make sure Kender, which are not natural or farmers as a whole, uh, were getting on the right path to have a decent-sized crop this year. Because, again, with her absent-mindedness and stuff, Kender have a bad habit of forgetting to take care of the crops, and then winter comes and they don't have quite the food they need. So he wants to make sure they've got everything they need to make sure. Again, Kelvin, pretty high up. Um, he did ask uh, Miyasha a personal favor while he was gone, which surprised Miyasha, because while he's a nice guy, he never really had done that, and asked her to take care of a little leather pouch. He said they're very important, and he has to make sure that he always keeps them safe. He does not want to accidentally lose them while he's gone, so you please take care of this for him. And Miyasha's like, I can. She goes, do you mind if I ask? What is it? He goes, they're my lucky nuts. 
She's like, what? He goes, my lucky nuts. She's like, okay. He goes, I can't lose them. They're lucky. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll lock them in the vault. Because they have a vault. They have a lot of well-protected vault. This is There's a lot of money rolling through the temple. Uh, a lot of Templars guide in that thing, and only a few people with access to it, she being one of them. Uh, what else? So, yes, yeah, she, uh, she does decide to go as well. So it takes just a little bit of time for her to prepare, and she starts making her way over as well. Lucas will not be going with her. He's, again, just come back. He's going to oversee some things, uh, reports he's heard, security, so on and so forth. Uh, but he is... Uh, going to send a decent group of people to protect her, as always. In Serenity, during the day, she's probably the safest. Um, not only is there just a ton of war... like I don't want to say military, what's the word? Uh, you know, all the knights, not the, the night knights, but the warriors and the guards and the police and the soldiers, all of the military that make up the knights of Serenity, uh, warriors, military of Serenity. Uh, there, it's, there's a lot of good stuff. No bad stuff really happens in Serenity. I mean, there's always a couple little crime things, but nothing bad yet at this point. So Artemis prepares to head over and meet them. Um, so we shoot over to the temple where Mercy's kind of hanging out. She's uh, in the main chamber now, which is very clean um, and decorated well, like things of flowers and stuff. There's probably no balloons. But you know what I mean? It's, it's been prettied up. Oh, I'm so sorry, Muse. I didn't see you say you're heading out. Have a good night. <laughs> what happened? I just came. Oh, I've, I've done a lot, sir. I've done a lot already. Uh, everybody's in a different area, uh, and a group of Knights of the Light are about to show up at Serenity, and they don't know why. The short version. Um, so Mercy's in the main chamber. She's in her best... She's not all plate mailed up or anything. She has her official clothes. You know what I mean? Well, he says, go polish my armor. That doesn't always mean that. She's got her own little symbols. She's got a cape. She dresses fancy. It may have a little bit of light armor on it as well, just in case. You know, but it's not like she's wearing her full battle gear in her own home. Especially when the people coming are technically friendlies. Throwing that out there. Um, all of the knights... All of her knights are there, except for, again, Lars and Devin, um, who actually have gone ahead to meet them, because they've already met them once, and escort them to the actual keep. It's just faster if you've got two of Knights of Serenity coming at the gate. You see this force of military coming towards the gates. People might get nervous. Some of the Knights of Serenity are out front. They'll be like, oh, well, then that's okay. Have I played Animatic Chemistry? Uh, yes, Saber. We tried that on one of the test drives. I put, like, uh, I think an hour and a half into that. I enjoyed that one, if I remember I want to say I thought that one was pretty good. What what little I played. Um, Artemis shows up with 20 Templars, which she thinks is a little overkill. They wait outside the keep, because again, once they're in the keep, Mercy's protection is just as good. Mercy's protection is the one thing Lucas is like, okay, that counts as 20 Templars. She's with Mercy and her knights, I'm fine. Um... As they're sitting there waiting, there's a conversation. Ulrich also mentions that in six days, he has to be at the uh, Realm Gate himself. Because in six days, the um, a group of dwarves are coming from Corman to set down an official trade agreement. Which is something they've been working on and talking on for months now uh, since Mercy's returned. 
um, having that realm gate. They want a lot of the materials and such that are coming uh, that they can get from there. Uh, especially in the ores and the metals and things of that nature, as well as just dwarven goods in general. So um, a contingent of the dwarves will be arriving in six days. Uh, Ulrich will have to leave about a day or so ahead of that to be there to open the gate. He's one of the few people that has a, that Mercy gives the gate key to. Any of the knights can take it, but they don't give it to anybody less than one of the knights whenever someone's supposed to come through. Um, also, during that trip... Someone with the dwarves is one of their ar armorsmiths who will be measuring all the knights for a set of dwarven-made official armor for the knights, something Mercy has already worked out and going to be paying heavily for. So all the knights at one point or another need to be here over the next 30 days to get fully sized out by the dwarves. Um, Flynn arrives a few moments later. Artemis is already there, and they're chatting, talking along. About, they're you know going to say hi to the dwarves when they show up as well. Uh, when Flynn arrives and says, "Hey, they've been uh, everyone's been sighted at the gates. They're making their way up." It appears that most of the Knights of the Light are actually staying in the city proper. They've not come up the path that leads up to the keep, which remember it kind of comes up. It's on a cliff overlooking Serenity Lake. Most of them stayed at the bottom. Only five are coming up with. Uh, the two knights I mentioned earlier, uh, Lars and Devin. Yes, here we go. <clears throat> five of them are escorted. The doors to the Great Hall open, and Devin and Lars enter, followed by five knights of the light. Mercy can tell by looking at them that they're relatively high-ranked, especially in the center, where there stands a high knight of the light. This is one of the highest ranks you can have. The knight, this knight is obviously the leader here. Um, let me see here. Yeah, obviously the leader. And he's and they begin, you know, they walk up, Mercy steps down, they're about to shake their hands and such. They've all got their helmets on and things. Um, and as they walk up, he reaches up and takes off his helm as Lars introduces him. Lady Mercy, leader of the kingdom of Serenity, says Lars, may I present to you the official ambassador of the Knights of the Light, his lordship, Sir Edward Hareton, High Knight of the Light. Mercy can only stare in disbelief as the helmet came off and she saw that she was looking into the eyes of her father. Surprise! <laughs> Darsh was on his horse, racing towards the docks. After being a week and a half overdue, the Morgenstern had finally been sighted, and it appeared to have taken major damage. Heavy damage, I read. Jorn was somewhere behind Darsh. Darsh hadn't waited for him. As Darsh came into sight of the docks, he got his first glance at his ship. The rear mast was completely gone, broken halfway down. It appeared the sail and part of the ship had also had fire damage. Darsh could see quite a few people on the docks, Minotaur, Upon arriving, he quickly made his way to the ship. Minotaurs parted as he came through, because, again, he's a pretty big guy. Darsh saw that Dorum speaking with the Minotaur, who was clearly the dock warden. Now, Dorum, if you'll remember... Oh, his the wow? Was that for the mercy thing? Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully that's for the mercy thing. And hello, Teresa. <laughs> um, yeah, that was fun. Um, for those of you who not remember, Dorum is basically Darsh's right-hand man. Not only is he Darsh's first mate on the Morgenstern, when Darsh is not around, he is the captain of the Morgenstern, where Rokar, who's Darsh's cousin, the kids from earlier, 
uh, is the second mate who steps into first mate rank when Darsh is not there. Uh, so they kind of go up and down depending on whether Darsh is on the ship or not. Sometimes when Darsh is on the ship, they still take leadership positions, and he's like, now on this trip, I'm just hanging out. I'm still staying in the good bedroom, but, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so he immediately goes up to Dorham, who he can see has a few minor cuts and scratches, but overall appears to be fine. Everybody kind of, everybody's kind of listening in to hear what happened. Darcy's like, what, 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 hap what happened to my ship? What happened to you? Are, are you safe? What's happened? Doran says that they were stopping Bardashtopia on their way back from Corman, which is normal, and found that it was under attack by two pirate ships. Two large pirate ships was attacking Darsh's islands, which she hadn't been back to in a couple of months at this point. Immediately seeing this, Morgenstern rushed in and entered into combat and drove the ships off. Although the ships were smaller than the Morgenstern, they were very well armed and very well staffed. At this point, Join finally catches up and is catching on to the rest of the story. Darsh rode very quickly. Ministers don't wear, ride a lot of horses. Carriages and things of that nature. You don't see a lot of battle. Mostly they go on feet. They have horses for important situations. And Darsh, who spent a lot of time in human lands and traveling with his friends, probably has more horse experience than most average um, Minotaur. So it makes sense that he would have some on the island. Uh, and of course, having one for Jorn to travel with him, Jorn and the rest of Minotaurs are a little un, uh, not as used to horse riding, so many of them aren't going to be as good as Darsh on a horse. Throwing that out there is an interesting point. Um, let's see, where were we? Uh, the island was hit hard. There were a lot of supplies on the island lost. Buildings had been damaged. There was actually um, a big chunk of casualty, 5% uh, on the Morgenstern. There was a lot of injured, including Rokar. All of them had, are currently in the infirmary, and clerics have already entered onto the ship to look at them. Uh, none of the cargo from Corman was lost, and all of that is already being transported to, the sh to Darsh's store. Well, Dor Darsh began asking questions. Okay, tell me about these ships. How big were they? What was going on? And Dorms like, automatically knows the information he wants. The big thing he wants Darsh to know is that they were a very mixed crew. Goblins, humans, some gnolls, ogres, and some minotaurs. Which is a pretty weird group altogether. The other big thing he wants to make sure Darsh knows is that they had spellcasters. Hence the fire damage. I mean, Darsh has Sea Mage on all of his ships as well, but they had several ships, uh, mages, and they seemed to be more there for combat more than they were for, you know, making the ship go fast and protection. Uh, once he got in there and uh, they showed up and chased the other ships off, the ships headed south deeper into this uh, central sea. Not to the source, but that direction, you know, deeper south. Um... While Dorm has only minor wounds, Darsh goes immediately to check on everyone else. A couple people were lost. Nobody named. Uh, I should step back in. When I say a named person, that means an NPC that actually has a name and a story. There are 50, 60 crewmen on the ship at times, uh, but only the people with actual jobs do I have names and backstories for. I mean, I have names for everybody, but they're not important. A couple people that are injured may still not make it. Not a lot of healers in Darshland, you know, or Ninja Cronair. Uh, Rokar took a serious cut 
across his stomach and was pierced through in the shoulder as well. He's bandaged up okay, and it's been a couple days. It took him a while to limp back from Cronair. Uh, that's why it took him so long. They're missing one of their one of their masts. I mean, that's one-third the sail missing. Um, fire caused it to snap and break and fall off. Luckily, they were able to cut the ropes enough before it dragged the ship down. Uh, Rokar is bandaged up and insistent that he not stay on the ship. He wants to go with Darsh back to the house and back to the family. Darsh is enraged. He is angry. Not only were his, pe- his people hurt, his cousin injured, there were lives lost on his ship. Considers that his responsibility, whether he's near or not. And Darstopia, the islands that he has claimed for his and his family, while he's been living here setting up their store, his intention has always been to move to Darstopia permanently, making that the main home. Not just a hub for trade, but a central place for him to work all of his business and to build his own mini-kingdom kind of thing on the island. Uh, So having someone attack his house while he was not there, not making Darsh a happy camper. He tells Dorm, asks Dorm, are you okay to work? Dorm says, "I, Captain, I'm ready to go when you are. Just say the word. He says, go to the Chimera. That's their new ship. Go to the Chimera and start getting it ready. It's supposed to be ready to sail in four days. I need you to have it ready to go in two. Dorm's like, I, Captain. And he he and several of the other crewmates go off. Rokar's coming home with Darsh. Um, it was at this point Darsh had several different options. What did he want to do next? Uh, and he chose, well, Rokar's pretty good. He's healed up enough that he can travel with him. He and Jorn um, are going to join Jars, and they're going to go to the store to check on the shipment of Dwarven goods. So they make their time there. Or make their way over there. And they do, and they do. Darsh gets a chance to look at the goods, and they're everything he was hoping for. Mostly weapons, armor, and jewelry. Mostly metal working stuff, what you'd expect. Um, jewelry with some really nice gems in them and such. Um circlets of gold. And the jewelry was made specifically for Minotaurs. The, most of this stuff was. There are some crates that are marked special that his intention is to take them and, and have because in the Paxawal market, remember we've talked about that in the past, the market there's tons of people but there's certain sections, the Minotaur section, the this section people have like permanent booths. Darth has a, has a permanent booth there now. He bought out a section not too far from the Minotaur area but not directly in it. Because uh, some of the other races are a little uncomfortable shopping. Like, when am I going to go to the Minotaur store and buy a sword or armor that's too big for me? That doesn't make sense. So he wants to be nearby, but he sells everything. Goods from Paxiwal, goods from RUL, Elven goods from Santriel, and now Minotaur and Dwarven goods. He is the one place who offers all of that. He Right now, he still is the only person with Elven goods, and he's now the first person with Dwarven goods. Those dwarves that are already working in Paxiwal, in their own shacks and such like that, um, they also are using Darsh as a way of bringing materials for them to sell. Kronair also wants to open up their own section of business there. Darsh is fine with that, of course, because he's getting paid to travel their stuff as well. As long as he's getting goods for himself to sell at a really good price, he's also transporting dwarves back and forth while they set that up, and helping carry their load as well. Um, So Darsh, being trusted to do that, is really in a position, almost a monopoly um, at this point, uh, so that his goods, even though he could probably crank the price real high on this, he's not. He's still keeping it at good prices. So he is very much in demand. Some of the other merchants of the other areas are a little bit jealous, 
Um, but he's always careful not to tap into the things that they sell. Darsh is looking for those stuff nobody else can get. You know what I mean? He could go to some of the elven king or the human kingdoms and start buying their armor and stuff that the other merchants are and their jewelry from Arduel or uh, Thorman and things like that. He stays away from that. He's looking for the stuff nobody else has. Uh, the exotic goods, if you will. Um, and he's also helping set up some of the human stuff with more minotaurs. So they're okay with that as well. The min- he's a member of both guilds, so he has that option. So Darsh checks everything seems fine. Everything is where he wants it to be. Uh, he has several employees there who are going to immediately start unpacking. They know what's coming in and where it's supposed to go. He, ordered, he knew what the order was. Um, so weapons and armor and things are being put up on you know, stands and weapon racks and shelves with other goods. Because um, they'll have other goods as well, like small, maybe a metal wooden chest that opens up like a jewelry box or things of that nature. Other things that dwarves may have crafted. Dwarven goods are even more in demand than you can imagine even human or elven goods are. Because dwarven stuff is sturdy stuff. Minotaurs understand dwarves, right? This is a group that are they're little guys, but man, they fight real hard. They dig real hard. They're into metal and battle. It's the one race... That minotaurs are like, even when they hate lesser races, they would probably talk to dwarves before anyone else. Um, Because dwarves make really good weapons. Minotaurs appreciate that. So he get make sure he sees overseeing this. Lyra would normally be here to take care of this herself, but she like I said she's not been feeling well lately, uh, which has Darsh a little concerned. So why Sasha's there taking? Sasha is Rokar's wife again. Remember, that's why the kids are staying there, and they live on the estate anyways. They have a, a property on the land that is Darsh's, uh, but she's just been staying at their house basically, kind of thing. Um, where was I? Where was I? Uh, yes. So. Once he sees everything being set up, he, he while he's doing this, he's talking to uh, Rokar and Jorn, and he's like, Rokar, you're not coming with me. Rokar's not happy about that. He's like, two things. Number one, I need someone here overseeing the store. Right? Lyra's sick right now. Jorn knows everything that needs to be done. He's going to assist you. But you're, you need to be here. You, I need someone here with the name... You know what I mean? Fohammer. Because it's Rokar Fohammer. I need you here as the figurehead when these goods start coming out. Someone has to speak for the family. And this is nothing against Jorn. Jorn's not insulted about this. Jorn understands that's how. This is Minotaur life. They they all like, no, of course. You, Jorn's like, yeah, you gotta have somebody here. You gotta have somebody with a name. It's like, you need to be here for this. Injured or not, I know you can pull that off. I'm gonna take Dorm. I'm gonna be captaining the Chimera myself. Dorm's gonna first mate it, and we're gonna go find these pricks, and we're gonna sink every damn one of them. Because not only am I not gonna tolerate that threatening any of my friends' lives, whether it be Kronar or the elves or whoever, they attacked my house, and he Darsh is very much taking that personally. And he's being very calm about it. He's not yelling or swearing or cussing or anything like that. That's how they know he's angry, because he's very calm. He's like, you're gonna get the boat ready. We're going to stock it up. We're going to leave in two days. And they're like, yeah, we are. And they're leaving. They're like, oh, he's going to kill somebody. Like, it's got kind of that feel. Like, when Darsh is mad, they're like, oh, okay, he's, he's upset. He's being boisterous and loud. When he gets real cool, he's like, shit's hitting fan. This is serious business. He doesn't do that very often. His friends, Mercy and them, have seen it much more than even his family has. Hi, Patches. Hello. Little Patches came to hear the story today. Okay. After this is set, um, 
Darsh and Jorn, of course, they mount up horses again. They call for a carriage at this point. Jorn is going to bring the horses that they have with them. Rokar took a little... With the horse riding over there, it, it bothered his wounds. So they they call for a carriage. It's like a taxi. It's public carriages. Darsh throws money. Minotaur takes them. Uh, this, is a, this is a way for an honorable work for maybe a lower-rank Minotaur who do, who's just trying to build a life and a family. You know, whether they have a store or a shop or they're a craftsman. Being a taxi driver, basically pulling a carriage, is respectable work, you know, because anybody could need it, whether you're poor or rich. I needed to get from here to there, here. But nobody has their own car. And most people don't have horses like Darsh does. Um, so calling for someone and getting a ride there, not a problem. She gets home, and she, or he gets home. They get home. Uh, Sasha, of course, very concerned for Rokar. Rokar's like, I'm fine. And she's like, oh, okay. And just pokes him hard in the stomach. And he's like, ooh. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I thought so. Come here. And walks him into another room where she can see the bandages. <laughs> she, she doesn't take any of Rokar's crap at all. Lyra and her get along great, because neither one of them take either of the guy's shit. Um, in almost every situation, when they're home, they're in charge. No, I mean, and I don't mean Rokar and Darsh. You know, Darsh is like, we're going to do this. No, we're going to do this instead. We're going to do what she said. I mean, because it's one of those things where, especially when it comes to the business sense, she's got an even better head on her shoulders than, than Darsh does when we're talking about Lyra. Um, Sasha's not as much in the business side, but Sasha handles a lot of the family stuff, the estate. Like I said, both of them live on these lands. Right? There's a little pond and there's, you know, trees, got a little thing. It's, it's a nice little estate, a little wall around it and such. A couple different buildings on it. Um, that kind of stuff. Nice stuff. Um, so, of course, he also asks, hey, how is Lyra? And he goes, well, we had a couple clerics from the temple come. Now, Darsh immediately switches channels. He's like, is everything Okay. And she's like, yeah, they left. She'll be okay. She's really not feeling well. Um, they don't think it's magical in nature or anything like that. Nothing would imply that she's poisoned. Everything should be okay. And he's like, okay. All right, then. Now I can go back to being angry about the pirates. Goes back to being angry. And they go chat about this a little bit. Jorn's taking, you know, he shows up. He's taking notes of what needs to be done while Darsh is gone. So on and so forth. And as it gets to the end of the evening... And everybody goes off to their own places. Rokar goes back with Sasha. They decide to go back to their house this evening so she can tend to him. They take the kids back. Um, Darsh basically sends Jorn home, pays him extra or whatever, and then he heads into the room with Lyra. It's that evening as he's going to go to bed where she's like, um, okay, I have to talk to you. I'm sicker than she told you. And he's like, do I need to call Artemis? Because if it's a sick thing, he's like, if we need someone to heal a problem, it's Artemis. Do I need to call Artemis? And she's like, not really. And that's when Darsh found out he was going to be a father. <laughs> she's not sick, per se. She wanted to freak him out a little bit. Lyra likes to play jokes on Darsh. I made, him, I made uh, the young lady who played Darsh very worried there at that point. Because uh, I was building it up even more than I did with you guys. That she's she's been getting sicker by the day. And she's not getting a lot of sleep. And you know, and everyone's like, what's going on, right? I, I was very careful to try not to let it on that she was mostly morning sick. Uh, but yes, Lyra is pregnant. So, yay Daddy Darsh. This is going to put a little bit of cramp into uh, their plans. 
Lyra's like, you know, I'm happy I'm with child. I'm I have no problem with that. Excellent. We have an heir. You know, they're very noble about it. I'm we're excited. We're happy. It's going to make it hard for me to work in the store. <laughs> and they're like, he's like, yeah, that is. We're gonna, we'll figure it out, though. This is okay. You know, they talked about while well, they weren't actively trying to have kids. They always knew it was possible. They knew it was going to happen eventually. Minotaurs normally have relatively large families. A lot of them die in battle, so having someone to carry on the name is important. Uh, so the clerics have confirmed that she is with child. Just thought I'd mention it. Okay, what's the next step? Ah, back to Dandy. So Dandy and Michael are spending some time... Um, <laughs> buckets. <laughs> buckets. <laughs> so they're... Uh, <laughs> Dandy and Michael spend a week in the kingdom of Firemoon. Uh, and they're having a good time. You know, they're entertaining. They're getting to go around and see the kingdom and getting to travel with each of the different people. They get to travel with Smallsius... Uh, mostly it's Smallsius and Thickaway who they spend time with, because a lot of the members of the inner circle of Fohammer, you know, are ambassadors, go doing things and such, and working, looking after the military and such. So they're not always hanging out there, right? They got their own quests, um, but this time Smallsius and Thickaway are the ones they're mostly dealing with. Um, so they're hanging out and they're having a good time, and they're. Uh, one day, just kind of sitting near a park in the middle of the, the main city of Firemoon. Because, like the other ones, there's small towns and such around the main kingdom now that make up part of the kingdom. But they're in the main kingdom of Firemoon. Uh, Rafe is, and Michelle, they're not there. Most of the time, they're off busy doing king and queen stuff. But they usually spend time eating dinner and hanging out with Michael and Dandy. Michael and Dandy have pretty much run of the castle and the city in between them. They're completely trusted. Firemoon has no problem with any of the group that helped him kill his brother and save the world. They're all welcome here at all times. Just as he can walk into Serenity and even Lucas would be like, okay, it's Firemoon. He can come on in. Like, these are these are groups of friends that 100% trust each other. Um, they're outside in this kind of area. They had uh, picked up some sweet treats from a bakery that Thickaway was very excited to show Dandy and Michael about. And they'd gotten some uh, cinnamon honey buns that were his favorite. And they're huge. Dandy's like, these are huge. And he's like, can you imagine? Humans eat two of these sometimes. And Michael's like, I'm not eating two of these. This thing's huge. Like, it's a huge cinnamon bun. And Smalls just is like, okay, I won't lie. Yeah, sometimes I eat two of them. He goes, but, uh, I think it was like, you should see Tabork when he's here. Oh my God, he could probably kill a dozen. Smalls is like, he doesn't eat a dozen. <laughs> but you know, that's very common. When Dandy's talking, Michael's behind her looking at, at Smalls. He's going, it's not really that bad. It's not that many. And it's the same way when Thickaway's talking. It wasn't that bad. Everybody was fine. You know, they're clarifying the story for the humans. Well, the Kenner aren't even paying attention. Their stories are just getting more and more embellished and bigger as they go along. And they honestly believe that's how it was. And humans behind her were like, eh, it wasn't that bad. Uh, but getting a couple Kenner together like that and having a great story, it was a fun thing for me. Uh, to roleplay Thickaway, because I don't... Kelvin's really the only other Kender we, we ever see occasionally, and he's fun, but he's mostly with Artemis. Rarely does he get to interact with Dandy. Uh, so having the opportunity to put Thickaway, who, for the record, was the first dungeon... one of the first two Dungeon Dragon characters I ever created for myself, uh, and the only one still surviving. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, he has a special place in my heart, so I was excited to be able to work him into the Fire Moon story. But I played him before I was ever a DM. 
Uh, so they're hanging out there. So while they're hanging out, you know, there's crowds. They're not the only people. People come by and say hi to Smallsius and Thickaway. Most people are totally fine with Thickaway. Again, he's considered, uh, these are all considered part of the royals. They're the nobles of this place. Whereas Mercy has her knights. These are known as, their, as, as Fire Moon's nobles. Um, and Thickaway is no slouch. Level-wise, he's actually the highest one of the whole group. Thickaway is a higher level than even Rafe does. Um, he's pretty high leveled for a rogue. So when, when things hit the fan and he gets involved, stuff happens, you know? So he's helped save the day on many an occasion. Again, way back in the Fire Moon days, not so much as commonly now. Um, but while they're hanging out and they're sitting there talking, Michael is smallsist or sitting on a bench a short distance away, chatting. And Thickaway and Dandy are both sitting on the edge of a small fountain with their shoes off, with their feet in the water, just telling stories and chatting and such. Um, and as they're sitting there, Dandy's like, looks at Thickaway and doesn't, just out of nowhere, just talking like normal. And she goes, how long do you think he's been there? And Thickaway's like, oh, he's been there for at least an hour now. She goes, yeah, that's about when I saw him too. Back at the uh, leather working store, she goes, yeah, he popped out of the alley at that point. You know... He's not bad, but he could be so much better. I know, I don't understand why they just don't wave flags sometimes. I understand what you're saying. I mean, it's just wasting time. Clearly he's here for a reason. And at this point, both Smallsius and Michael are like... Because they're not whispering, they're just talking to him. They're like, what the hell are they talking about? And they take their feet out and shake them off and put their shoes on, which means they're a little bit wet in the shoes. They regret that a little bit later. They wish they'd had a towel to dry their feet off with. But they stand up, and they both turn to the young man that was casually leaning against a tree, trying to stay hidden in the crowd. And they're like, well, don't stand there all day. If you're going to be there, come on over. The young man's like, me? And they're like, yeah, you. Come on. <laughs> Smallsius and... Michael are like, I have no idea what's going on. Menandra's talking to Michael, nothing undead. I'm like, okay, just checking. You know, that kind of, that, whenever anything weird is going on, Michael's like, huh? Menandra's like, no, no, no undead. Okay, just checking. Because she only senses undead, or the infection of undead. She does not sense anything else, if you will. Um, so, the young man, looking very nervous, very common clothes, comes walking over, and Michael goes, do you know that guy? Smalls is like, I don't know who that is. And they come over to the kender, and the young man nods, and he looks at Dandy more than he looks at Thickaway. Because they've been watching this guy follow him now for a while, both of them fully aware that he's trying to stay hidden and not doing a very good job. Clearly a thief, but not skilled that well. Shocking they let whoever guild he's in has let him join that quickly. Whoever took him in must be... Uh, Short on thieves was one of the jokes they made. Sadly, in front of the guy, and he felt a little bad about that. But Danny's like, no, don't get me wrong. For a human, you're okay. You're doing okay. You're just not that good. You should probably... And they start giving him tips and stuff. And Michael and like, what is going on? And they're like, oh, he's from a thieves' guild. And Small's just like, what? Thickaway goes, not worry. Not from the one, not the one from here. Not ours. He's like, okay. What do you mean ours? He goes, we'll talk about it later. And he's like... What do you mean? Because <laughs> of course there is. Like, how do you know? He's, and he goes, the young man there, who's human, probably in his uh, early 20s. It's like, uh, it, it's true, I've traveled quite a distance. Um, shockingly, I, I didn't even know if I'd find you. And Dandy, and he's talking to Dandy specifically. She's like, okay, well, you were looking for me. How did you know to come here? And he says, 
Oh, I, I didn't. We, we were all sent, we were sent to all the different cities everywhere to try to find you. Now she's intrigued. She's like, okay, give me your message then. They're not fools. They know what's going on. Um, the thief says that he is currently in exile from the city of Paxawal. Once again, that there is a huge thieves' war going on in Paxawal. Two different thieves' guilds battles throughout the city, breaking out so much so that even the military has had to be called out to break some of it up. It's been much worse than the last time when one group just tried to assassinate the others. It's, at some point, an open civil war in the streets. Rumors are that a lot of the original guild has been wiped out. Not many survivors at all. You'll remember way back before when they met with One Eye, he said that he was going to try to take back his guild. And he's like, was he successful? And they're like, yeah, he was. And then this happened. No one knew about this other group of people. The rumors are that right now that originally were that One Eye was missing or dead. Well, he was missing, I'm sorry. He was rumored to be dead or injured. Before, you know, the last thing they heard from him is he gathered several people, several of his trusted people, but younger people who'd less likely be known as his followers kind of thing, and sent them in different directions specifically to find Dandy. And he has a small little scroll tube thing with the scroll, and he goes, I'm to give you this. Dandy looks at it and can see that it's not been broken. You don't screw with one eye. This guy, this young kid was not going to risk trying to open this and fake close it again. He, she can tell that it's, it's closed correctly. Again, Dandy's not a fool. She pops it open, pulls it out and starts reading it. And it's very, very, very short. All it says is, I need your help. Something is wrong in Poxwall. Come to Whispering Hills. That's all it says. No sign, no signature, not a Whispering Hills is, not what's wrong in Paxawal. That's all it says. I need your help. Something's wrong in Paxawal. Come to Whispering Hills. She asked the thief, what's Whispering Hills? He goes, I, I don't know. Until you just read it, I'd never heard of it myself. They're like intriguing. They start talking about it, and they're like, did you have anything else? He's like, no. And they're like, he's, they're like, okay, you can go. And he's like, <laughs> he looks relieved, like, thank God. Because he did not like being caught by them. You know what I mean? Like, everybody, you're a rogue. You, you're following someone for an hour. You're pretty proud that they haven't caught on to you yet, yet they've been watching you the whole time, you know? You're the one that's being watched. It's, it's kind of insulting, really. Um, but he does, but again, he doesn't know what Whispering Hills is. He doesn't, after that night, he hasn't had any real contact with the guild. He was the one sent to come here. He left Paxawal several weeks ago on foot. He was not, you know, traveling with anything that would show him off. He was also told not to steal anything on the way. Nothing that would give any clue that he's a rogue. Um, so he had coin, was given. He was given some coins. He was given this note. He goes, go to Fire Moon, find Dandelion Nettleleaf, and give this to her. If she's not there, just keep looking till you find her. He knows that people were sent to other places, like Serenity um, and such, but last they'd heard, she wasn't in Serenity. No one ever knows where Dandy is when her and Michael are out hunting undead. Serenity, Darstopia, and are usually the most places you're most commonly going to look. Because she visits Darst a decent amount, she lives in Serenity. They actually have a house there, although they've been away for several months. Kind of give me a little bit more of the story there. 
Hopefully you guys aren't too bored by this. <laughs> I'm giving, I know it's a, a lot of information. The first of an adventure always is. Um, the last one when everything was being set up was uh, a little like this as well. So I know this, I always worry that while I'm setting up the adventure, it's not as exciting, but I have to get all the pieces in place before I can move forward. So hopefully this is relatively entertaining for everybody. Um, let's see. Oh, Jim, this is okay. I'm glad you enjoy it, Jim. You understand, sir. <laughs> so, Dandy and Michael, so, you know, Smallsies and Thickaway are like, okay, we don't really know what the, obviously, Thieves Guild, we don't know why you're involved and such. And Dandy goes, Dandy goes, I'm in a, she goes, I'm in, I'm, I'm in the guild, technically. And Michael's like, yeah, I, I know, I'm not happy about it. She's like, I'm in the guild, technically. You know, I'm a guild member. Um, and I'm kind of friends with the head guy. I mean, we're, we're cool, we get along. Uh, he's helped me sometimes. I've helped him sometimes. Uh, so he's calling for me. I mean, clearly knows I'm the most qualified for whatever the problem is. Um, he's helped us. I guess we better go. And Michael's like, do you want to go to Paxawal then? And she's like, yeah, we should. I know we were going to try to go down. And we were trying to try to get, you know, go there after Darstopia. But maybe we should skip Cronear and, and, and go there first. Because, I mean, if he's in trouble, something's wrong in Paxawal, we got friends in Paxawal, it might be best just to check on things, you know. Michael's like, okay, uh, so I guess the fastest route would be to head south to Arduel. That's going to take a few weeks. Um, the Miss Dandelion should be in Arduel. That's where it was supposed to be when we sent a letter ahead of time to meet us. Uh, then it'll be another couple weeks to get to Paxawal. So we're looking at about a month to get there. Uh, it's going to take a while. Small just goes, maybe we can help you with that. So, next we jump back to Serenity. Mercy is shocked, looking into the face of his father, of her father, who after taking off the helmet, looks at her, just gets a big giant smile and reaches out with his arms. Now, all of her knights immediately hands are going to their weapons. They don't know who this is, although they know her name is Harriton. Mercy Harriton was her name. And she as well reaches out and embraces her father and like, Okay, she's okay with it. We're going to take our hands off our weapons now. We're cool. Because their hands went to the weapon. The other Knights of the Light's hands went to their weapons. <laughs> like, what's going on here? Kind of a moment. Um, Mercy is chewing her best not to cry. Uh, Sir Edward, not as successful. There's several tears rolling down his face. And he looks at her and he goes, he goes I swear, I never thought my daughter. It takes a moment for them to, you know, kind of gather themselves, and they both get tough-looking. We're the heads of wherever we're going here. I'm the head of the Night of Lights, and I'm the head of Serenity. We're going to be tough again. Um, introduce each other. Mercy introduces all of her knights. Uh, when she gets to Ulrich, she stumbles a moment. Because this is the first time she's really had to introduce Ulrich, since they've kind of become a thing. Uh, they're not engaged or anything like that. So she, this, this Ulrich, he's my... Um, the uh, with the uh, not the top of the night, the of all of them, like he was here first, so he's kind of the uh, you know, like not big because Seamus is bigger, but you know, she starts stumbling. It was a very I like stairs moment, uh, because the character had to explain that. And I was like, You guys aren't betrothed or nothing, how do you want to do this? And she slowly stumbled over it as Mercy would in that situation. Um, Edward gets just a huge smile on his face because he totally understands lived with Mercy for years, right? Raised her. He totally understands how goofy she gets at matters of the heart. So he immediately understands that there's something between the two of them, even though it may not be official at this point. Um, 
So, of course, he shakes his hand and all that kind of stuff. Uh, gets a big smile to see that. Can tell from Ulrich's, um, you know, he's got the stash. He's, he's going clean shaven again. He did have the big stash that a lot of the knights wear, like her father has. Uh, but he went smooth uh, back during the last adventure. Um, but even then, with his features and noble stash, uh, Sir Edward can look at him and say, okay, this is someone of regular noble birth. The way he holds himself and his weapons, he's actually out of training. He looks like a knight of the, of the light because, you know, he was one, even though he doesn't know that yet. Um, Sir Edward introduces them to um, the, the knights that he brought with him. Uh, so there is Sir Wesley Nygaard, Sir Dante Stonemead, Sir Snyder Queenlock, and Sir Zeth Waxwing. These are all relatively high-ranked as well. Um, and they're all introduced, and they're all an honor to meet you, milady, so on and so forth. You may remember in an earlier adventure, they ran into some Knights of the Light, and when they gave, they said, oh, who runs, who, who's in charge here? Oh, that's Mercy Harriton. Some of the guys were like, they looked weird about her name, like, what'd you say the name was? Because they recognized the last name, and they're like, hmm. They went home. And they told Edward, you know who Mercy Harrison is? Because she has a kingdom. And he's like, Bruh? And, you know, that was that was the beginning of that. So, both of them, they were not together, obviously, when the merge happened. Mercy had already, go, already gone on, out on her own, trying to find her own place in life, and had been gone for a good year when the merge happened. So, neither one had the belief that either one probably made it here. Mercy tells the basics of their story, breezing over a lot of the we saved the world moments. But, you know, we came here, this is what happened, we started to land and such. This is Artemis. Introducing Artemis has an even bigger hit than any of the knights. These are knights of the light. This is an elven cleric, and it's the head cleric of a temple. Uh, from what they hear, pretty big temple. Not just like a little shack with four or five clerics. This is a big, and she's an elf, you know, that adds to it as well. So of course all the clerics when they come or all the knights when they come up to me here literally drop to a knee, you know, to thank for her being there and all so on and so forth. And she always says, please rise, blessings upon you. That's what they they they, they want to hear, right? Um, she's been through this before as well. Uh, but they're always in awe of Artemis. Uh, including Sir Edward. Um, Sir Edward tells his story that uh, after the merge, he literally traveled the New World for several years. Um didn't really have anywhere to go, couldn't find home, because he was out on a knight's quest with a small group of 10 or 12 of his own knights. And while he was not, I want to point out, he was not originally a knight of the light. That's why this is a big shock. The knights of the light of that name were from a different world than what Mercy's from. They had knights of holiness and different knight orders, and her father was a knight in that, but knight of the light was technically nothing that they were affiliated with you know, in her world. So I want to stress that. That terminology was specifically from another world that wasn't even Firemoon's world. It's from its own world, but a big chunk of that came through, and there were a lot of them. So as Sir Edward was... Tra oh, um, I was watching this in VR, but typed on my phone. That would be awesome. I don't think... I, I don't know if anybody's ever watched me in VR before. I didn't know that was possible. That's cool. <laughs> well, thank you for letting me know that. That's actually really cool. I didn't even think that was a... A thing. I, I've never done VR, so I don't know much about it. But that's cool. Thank you. Very flattering. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, uh, he's telling his story, and he's like, so over those years, as I traveled, I came across more and more lost people. 
warriors and knights and soldiers who had lost their home uh, or lost their way and couldn't find their way back. And I started to gather them. You know what I mean? I started to, started to, they started to follow along. And eventually when I became, no, when I, I found out of the, the Knights of the Light as a whole, an organization very much mirroring the type of knights he had been a high-ranked member of before, he decided that could be the that may be what we're looking for, because they were they didn't have a home, they just kept traveling, and so when he shows up at the door of the Knight of the Lights, a high-ranking dude with over three hundred warriors following him, many of them trained knights and soldiers, some type of holy knight, the same type of belief and nobility that the Knights of the Lights have. And the opportunity to bring them into the fold, the Knights of the Light jumped all over that. Uh, well, maybe I'm your first. That would be cool. <laughs> but, you know, it's like they're like, okay. And these people respect Sir Edward. And it didn't take long before they're like, okay, well, we're bringing Edward in and we're making him a relatively high rank. Because these people follow him, right? So he's going to follow us. we got to make sure that they're... It's, it's intelligence. It's politics. We're going to make sure he's a high rank so they know that he has a say in what they do. Um, and after a very short while, they realized, oh, this wasn't a, a figurehead thing. This dude earned it. And so he even jumped up even higher till he became one of the head three knights of the light. Lord Gunther being the, the highest. Uh, that's Michael's uncle, by the way. Just throwing that out there. Um, so he's now one of the elder knights circle. He's the third highest ranking in the knights of the light. Um, the Knights of the Light have also been in talks with all of the Southern Kingdoms, which is Paxiwal, Thorman, and Arduel, as well as Firemoon. Um, and uh, been in talks with them to become officially affiliated. The Knights of the Light have been working on that for a while. Become officially affiliated with the... Well, they're their own city, because they're knights, there's a big keep, but a city pops up around them looking for protection. And, oh, you're knights, you need metal workers, you need leathersmiths, you need people who can farm. A city builds around that as well. So they've become an adequately sized city as well. Uh, if you have a Discord server, I can give proof. We do have one, yes. If you'd like to join the Discord, this is for anybody. Uh, if you go to my website, onlydraven.com, there's a button right at the top you can click on uh, that'll take you right in and sign you up. Uh, I don't keep it up during streams just because it... it blows up when I have it open. Uh, so I don't look at it till after the stream, but I would definitely check it out. If you have something you want to throw in there, that would be awesome. Thank you. <laughs> and we'd just love to have you anyways. Come on by. Um, so, yeah. so this third ranked, very high ranked, uh, became uh, very quickly one of the folks who helped start making decisions for the Knights of the Light. So they have been speaking with the Knights and they have decided and they've made agreements with Thorman to build an outpost uh, in or near the lands of Thorman. Thorman is still on the border of Oromon. And we know Oromon is a bunch of jerk faces, right? We know that they are not. And they attacked Thorman and the southern kingdoms through that way. Thorman is always, other than Serenity, going to be the first city to get hit if they try to come down and cause problems again. So the Knights of the Light are offering to joined this affiliation of the uh, uh, southern kingdoms um, and offering to help protect those lands. They're getting things out of this as well. Foods, materials, gear, you know, the ability for them to come in and look for followers, so on, that kind of stuff. They're affiliated, trade, all those kind of things. Um, so while talking with Thorman, uh, they have, they uh, the decision has been made and it has been agreed upon. And so they're going to set up 
an outpost near Thorman, and Edward has been chosen to lead it. So he's going to be the head knight of this new outpost. And with these 20 guys that he's got with him right now, 20, 25 guys, I think I said were in this group, more will be coming later, and it's going to become a relatively large outpost. Because you see, it turns out there's this old keep thing, kind of built on the edge of the mountains, close to Thorman, uh, near the border. Anybody remember what that is? For those of you who may not, may not have been here before, that's where they found Michael when he was spooky. So they know very well what, was in that, what that building was like. And that it was an old fort. It was hard to get into. With built up well. Back then I'd even hinted, Mercy had said, wow, this would be a very well defendable fort. I'd said that in the time to maybe hint that maybe Mercy might eventually build it there. Because at the time, uh, the Serenity wasn't a thing yet, if you'll remember. I planted that seed there, but I always knew she wasn't going to come there. Somebody else was. And so this means that her father will be much like her on the border of Oramon and helping defend against Oramon. This delights Dandy, or sorry, Mercy to no end. At the same time, there's a little bit of nervousness waiting to see if they start saying, uh, and we'd like to bring people here too, in which case she has to be like, no, and then there's going to be, you know, maybe conversations. So hoping that doesn't come, become a thing. But they're going to be taking the old keep near the mountains. They're the first ones to go there. They're going to go in there, settle it, start the cleaning, making sure it starts to be a bit livable. Once they're sure that there's a route to get there, other knights and people the knights have hired, such as masons and sort of blacksmiths, the people that come along with them, will start moving as a large group in there to repair, rebuild, and start living there. It will be an active fort. Um... So he's taking that old keep. Um, now, um, at the time, when it came to this all going down, they were coming this way, they knew about Serenity. The Knights of the Light did. Right? Why? Because just a few months ago, there was a visit from Michael and Dandy who talked about Serenity in more detail. And they learned... They, Of course, they would have known about it anyways. They're no slouches. They keep apprised of administration. They got more information from Michael and Dandy and being allies of them in the past, they hear it's a good place. Good people, nobles, all that kind of stuff. Um, it was during that time when they explained that Mercy ruled it and the name Mercy Harriton came out. Lord Gunther was like, what did you say the last name was? And he didn't want to say anything for sure. But after Danny and Michael left, he went to Edward and he's like, listen, there's a place called Serenity and the lady in charge, his name is Mercy Harrington. Is that a relative of yours? And he, Edward's like, what? So learning that, uh, they decided to take a slightly longer route. Instead of going through Paxawal and taking a ship around, they were given permission to head north and spend several extra weeks around the north area and, and come down through Serenity's border, right on the edge of Oramon, and head come down the mountains um, on the other side to where they're going. And has also been granted permission for he and the knights to spend two weeks here, because if this is his daughter, he wants to see her. Gunther's like, I totally think that's fine. Um, so that was kind of the story of how Sir Edward came to be one of the very head knights of light. He was always a good knight before, and when Mercy decided that was not for her, he was like, then... Find your way. He supported her. He was never raised her 
and you're one of these people that raised her to, you know, you're a girl, so you should be more like a boy. No, it's like, you're a woman, and you're going to whoop some ass. I'm going to teach you how to do it, and I don't care what's under the armor. Just beat people up when they cause problems. Um, raised her with the same ideals that he had. Uh, she just felt they were a little bit too rigid for the way she wanted to live her life. I got to put when you want to check it in. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I will definitely check that right after the stream in about 50 minutes. We normally went until about 10.30 p.m. Eastern for this one. Um, but thank you. I appreciate that. So they've got some time there to hang out. Uh, they're going to spend some time in Serenity, which they're very excited about. This sounds very cool. Um, uh, of course, like I said, very honored to meet Artemis. Uh, they're explained, you know, that they're best friends. He wants to know every detail. They got a little bit of the story here in front of everybody. He's like, I want to know everything you've done since I left. And she's like, okay, well, we've got two weeks. We've got time to tell the story. Um, he, he goes, before that, though, as a matter of formality, I have to say, as a representative of the Knights of Light, we would also like to invite you into the Alliance as you are part of the Southern Kingdoms. They are. Um, but um, I would like to state that it would be for trade purposes only. And Mercy's like, Really? Why only trade? And he goes, uh, from what I've heard, I don't think you really would need us here. And he has a big smile. Mercy's like, no, but it's appreciated. Thing. An understanding of I'm not coming in to try to take your stuff. I'm not coming in here to want to be, you know, think you're doing a good job. Love to partner up, but we're not coming in to try to take over. Makes that clear, which is the load off of Mercy's mind. And the young lady is playing, right? She did not want to step into that type of political drama dealing with a father who's there to take over. Made it very clear right off. That's not what we're looking for. So, they, Artemis is like, okay, I'm going to return to the temple. It's nice meeting you. There's going to be a little bit of a party here, but she had a busy day. So I'm going to go home, check on my son, spend the night in my bed, relax a little bit, and uh, I'll see you in the next day or two. You know, they, they go days without seeing each other, but she's like, I'm sure I'll see you again, Sir Edward. And all the knights again drop to their knee, and, and then Artem and Mercy's like, I wish they wouldn't do that. <laughs> but, you know, it's that kind of thing. Um, so Artemis heads back out to her 20 Templars who escort her back down. Um, the four knights that are there um, make it aware that they're going to be take the, the knights themselves... Um, are going to not be staying in the city. They're going to set a campment out just outside the city. Mercy's like, yeah, I got some horse fields that I use over here. There's some space you can camp. Uh, they're like, at this point, we're not going to come in and try to take all your hotel rooms for, you know, two weeks. But, uh, you know, we, if we could have freedom to go in the city, buy supplies, food, and stuff. And she's like, of course, yeah, go in and buy whatever you like. You know, because that's more to my economy. You know, <laughs> they'll bring it on in. But they're not all staying in there. Only Edward will be staying in the keep. The other four head will be uh, knights will be staying with the rest of the knights on the outside. And they'll have they'll, I'm sure there'll be times where they're meeting and staying in the keep with Edward when they talk about stuff and hang out throughout the day. Um, but they're not going to be spending the night there. Edward's getting a room, kind of a thing. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Oh, here we go. I'm sorry, I missed a thing. Um, as they're preparing and the, the knights are preparing to uh, uh, head out to help finish seeing the encampment set up and Edward's going to be shown to his room and he and Mercy are going to have some just alone father-daughter time to chat, um, a messenger arrives from the temple. Artemis recognizes the young Templar and uh, he looks. Uh, he comes up and he goes, uh, Lady, a message from you from Sister Miyasha. Yes, what is it? He goes, I have asked, I've been asked to have you return to the temple as soon as possible. There has been an issue. She's like, 
which is the issue. He goes, I apologize, ma'am. I was not told. I was only asked to have you come back as soon as possible. And she's like, okay, well, I'll go. Lucas isn't here kicking down the door, so she doesn't immediately think it's danger at home. <laughs> but she's like, Miyash is asking for me, not Lucas. So it could be something political or something, whatever. She goes, I'll head back. Says goodbye, sees her leave, and she leaves with the other Templars. Um, the other knights leave. Artemis, uh, sorry, Mercy has some time to spend with her father. Um, Ulrich says that he will... Uh, He'll give them some time and maybe he'll come in before the end of the evening and, and say hi to them and get to know him a bit better as well. And they're like, okay, um, no, that's, that's fine. And while Mercy and the father are together, uh, Mercy makes it quite clear that she has very strong feelings for Ulrich, to which her father's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> kind of picked up on that. Awkward sauce. Like, I, I, kind, of, I kind of got that. Uh, and she's, is he, what, is, 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 is he worth your time? Is he worth you? It's really the only question he asks. And she's like, yeah, I think he is. He's like, then I'm okay with it. You know, you, he goes, he goes, look where you're standing. He goes, I'm not, I'm not going to start doubting your, uh, I'm not going to start doubting your choices now. <laughs> you know? I mean, you went out on the world to try to find your place and for all intents and purposes became a queen. You must be doing something right. You know what I mean? Your best friend is the holy icon that we would kill to have living in our tale, in our castle. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, he knows about Michael and them. He knows a little bit of the story because Gunther would have talked about what he known, you know, before sending him out. Yeah, we know, I know these people. I didn't realize Mercy was your daughter. She's been our ally and she fought against evil and all this other stuff. Because most of the world knows that these group are people that helped save the world in some fashion. It's not a secret by any means. Um, they may not know the specifics of it, but, you know, it's out there. Um, but it's one of those, yes, baby, I know. Patches is hungry, she's getting close to treat time. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, you hear, oh, Mercy did that. Mercy's not a super rare name. Like I said, oh, a knight named Edward. It's not a rare name. You wouldn't think, oh, that's my dad. It's just a knight named Edward, you know. A lot of common names out there. Artemis is a little more rare. Darsh is a little more rare. But when you get to Mercy, Edward, these are pretty common names. Especially in these circles. Noble knight circles, if you will. You're just rumbling like a little machine over there, you little kitty. <laughs> Sorry, I have a kitty on my lap who's enjoying the story. So, um, she makes it aware that you know, she has feelings for Ulrich, and he's like, well, then I, I also look forward uh, to getting to know him better as well. Um, Artemis doesn't take long to get back through the city. They're in a bit of a hurry. The Templar People move when the Templars and Artemis come through for a couple reasons. Number one, She's important, right? Like, everybody sees her as the holy icon of this entire kingdom nation, right? So she's a bit of people get out of the way when she's coming through. And second of all, if she's rushing through, they got to assume it's important. You know, because a lot of times she's coming through casually and she's stopping to say hi or throwing a prayer or a blessing out. If they're in a hurry, they don't want to get in the way of whatever she's off to deal with. So she gets right through, very easy. She returns to the temple and... Uh, Meets Lucas, who is sitting in a room with Miyasha, um, and they're kind of hanging out there. And uh, it, they're, they're taking a, a room to where Miyasha and uh, Lucas are, which is a, kind of like a, a meeting planning room where a lot of times they talk about business. They don't all sit, sit in her bedroom all the time, even though she has private quarters they could. Most of the time, there's like an office, she has her office area, which is a, a sitting room with a big table where she could pull people in, and maybe people were coming in to visit she could talk about. Um, and she's. 
what, what has happened. Miyasha looks a little concerned. After, every, all, after all the other Templars are left, and it's just the three of them, her and Lucas and Artemis, goes, we've received another report, but this time from the town of Oakleaf. Their citizens have begun getting sick as well. From our reports, Oakleaf is a little bit further away than Moonbrook. Shows from our the reports we have, it seemed to have started right about the same time. Now the two towns are technically next to each other, but hours travel. I mean days. I'm sorry, maybe even like a day travel. Serenity is a big open space, a lot of open farmlands and little villages, but the big cities are a distance apart. And Oakleaf is one of the further ones outside. Moonbrook you can get to in half a day, uh, but Oakleaf is a distance out there. So it would be odd that whatever illness would happen to pop up there at the exact same time. You know, if it was some type of a plague or an illness or whatever the case, you know, because you always got to worry about plague in these type of situations. You know, if, if everybody in Moonbrook got sick and then a week later everybody in Oakleaf or two weeks later gets sick because maybe people started traveling, you'd be like, okay, that's a problem. But for both cities so far apart to both get sick at the same time is not quite how illnesses work. Let's be honest, in our own lives, I think we can all understand how that works. Started in one country and started moving around until everybody got it. In this situation, same time, not common. Um, <clears throat> with this happening and it not being quite uh, standard, Miyasha thinks that maybe they should send a group of people to Oakleaf as well, and maybe a couple more, more to Moonbrook, but maybe we should send somebody with a little bit more mojo. And Miyasha is asking for permission to go to Oakleaf herself for two reasons. Number one, she's a pretty powerful cleric of healing. She's second highest in this temple. She also helps run the place when Artemis is not around. And people know that she's a good person. Bit of a curmudgeon, but a good person with, with, with good holy mojo. She'd be accepted there as well. Second of all, the last thing she wants is Artemis walking into that situation. So she's going to offer to go before Artemis has the chance to do so. Artemis understanding this as well, but at the same time, makes sense. Because if the problem ends up being worse in Moonbrook, she may have to go there instead. If things are bad, she can always call, for, you know, she can always call or send someone from Oakleaf. She can head that way. She can stay here, kind of monitor the situation in, in several areas. So she agrees, yes. Miyasha says the next morning she's going to leave with a group of um, clerics. Or the, the couple low-level clerics are going to go with her and a group of Templars for protection. Because... <clears throat> There's brigands on brigands, brigands, whatever you call them. They're bad people on every road, even surrender. You guys be careful, right? Um, Lucas says that he's going to send a message to Mercy, letting him know that we're sending a couple high rank clerics to these places on purpose because there's potential of. Eh, and uh, just because it affects her kingdom as well, she should know. Artemis is like, I totally agree. Yes, please send someone. Lucas goes, I'll actually go myself. I know all of this. And the, be the not want to start a panic, it's probably best that only really people who need to know how potentially this could be a problem is a problem. Artemis agrees. Lucas heads out to go. Miyasha goes to get ready. Lucas hops on a horse and heads over to now interrupt Mercy and Dad time to give the bad news. Uh, something maybe afoot. So let's talk about what happens next. That seems very odd for me to say, but something does. The night goes through perfectly fine. Well, I mean, the rest of the afternoon, the evening, everybody has a good time shitting and chatting. Uh, a little concern. Mercy is assured that mm, it's, it doesn't seem to be anything real big, but we wanted to let you know. 
And she's like, okay, well, um, Oak Leaf is a distance from here. Um, if you're going, I'd like to send someone with you as well. And Lucas is like, okay, who, who you'd like to send? Quan uh, happens to be there. And he's like, I'll go. I don't mind. I've got some contacts out there anyways. And I, would, I haven't been there in a couple of months. It'd be nice to check in. Uh, he's a known face. The knights are all known and, again, respected. Um, and Lucas is like, yeah, that'd be great. You want to send one of your knights? These are people I know I can trust. Throw them in with my Templars. One of your knights is, he doesn't want to admit it, probably worth several of his Templars. But he, Lucas believes he could take Quan. Quan agrees. Lucas is no slouch. He's probably in his late 40s, early 50s at this point. But Lucas is no slouch in combat. So, you know, that... Uh, but yes, he's like, yeah, uh, Lucas is like, yeah, that'd be great. I think that'd be awesome if you'd like to send Quan. Uh, definitely the, the help would be appreciated. And Quan goes, I will be ready to leave in the morning. And Lucas, thank you, tells Artemis. And Artemis' father's there with Ulrich at this point, And they called for Quan. Quan, a couple of the other knights. He hang out with the knights, hearing stories about stuff. And they're telling stories about Mercy that probably she'd rather he, they not tell. Embarrassing stories and stuff. And um, how they saved her life. And how she saved their lives. And how they all met. That kind of stuff. Uh, just a good time eating, hanging out. Getting to know each other kind of thing. That's why Quan was there. And Ulrich was there at this point. Um, when this leaves and uh, she's like I trust Quan if there's an issue he'll let me know and it was okay cool and the night continues but eventually of course as always happens eventually you've got to go to sleep right people get tired technically Artemis could go into like a trance that she doesn't actually sleep it's a weird thing elves can do uh, Artemis never does that I should point that out. It's an elf ability in many of the Dungeons & Dragons campaigns. It wasn't quite as common in 2nd edition, uh, but it's just nothing she ever, ever felt she needed to do. So she's never used that ability. She sleeps like a regular person. Spend a little time with uh, the little boy. And everybody goes to sleep. Can half-elves do that? They cannot. You have to be a full-blooded elf to be able to do that. Hello, Patchy. Yes, uh... Half-elves, the human taint requires them to sleep, if you would. Hello. Hello. And it's always been my belief that, while it's never been said anywhere that I've read it, elf children could neither. It would be something that would be learned over the long life of an elf. By the time they're an adult, one to two hundred years old, it's a lot of time to practice and be able to learn how to you know, meditate and such. And maybe not all, maybe all elves can naturally do it somewhat, but unless they're trained, um, they may not be able to do it fully. You know what I mean? So if you're an elf orphan who grew up in a city of dwarves, you may not know how to do that. You know, I understand. I know. <laughs> That's why I made the joke. Smashley's playing a half elf. That's why I said that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's, you know, it, it, I always felt that it's not something you're just naturally born with, but it's a capability you have if you learn how to do it. So, um, yeah, just the way I've always felt about it. But Artemis, the only elf in this party, and the only one that I had to worry about, and she didn't ever want to use that, so we were fine. Yes, I know, it's not treats time. you got to chill. Um, so, everybody goes to sleep. That in itself, not normal. I should say one last thing. In that same evening, back to Mercy or Dandy's thing, uh, remember I said they, they might be able to help. Um, 
Firemoon has agreed to have Ronan, if you'll remember, Ronan is the dwarf cleric, that's his part of his party, and Smallsius um, are agreed to fly, remember he has hippogriffs, to fly Dan, uh, Dandy and Michael to Paxuol. It'll be much, much, it still takes several days, but it's much, much faster than having to go all the way down to your all, like in a couple days, what could be weeks travel, because they can just fly straight over. Um, Dandy, who loves flying, Michael, who's eh, um, accept that, of course. Thank you. Uh, accept the offer. Uh, so they're going to be flying. They spend the last night there as well. It's important that I bring this to this section because it is at this moment that all of these stories align. Not all of them. You know, sometimes Darsh was thing over a week, remember, and Dandy was traveling and this and that. But it's at this night that all four of these stories align. So when all of them go to bed now... They're all going to bed at the same night. And they'd asked me that, the characters before. Is it all? I'm like, no, I'll let you know when we get to that point. So, Because they were role-playing this, and this probably took over two sections to play because they were hanging out in the city and investigating stuff and doing things and so on. So that night, they're all plagued with nightmares. Nothing major. Dark, unhappy dreams. Um, in another situation, it would be no big deal, but the fact that I, as a DM, have to tell them that they all have a bad dream tonight clearly means something more. One of the downsides of D&D, it can't make everything subtle. Um, I needed them to know that the story came into linked at this point, and they all had bad dreams. They don't remember the bad dreams, but they know that it was very uncomfortable. They were very dark and very shadowed. Uh, something was chasing them. It was all, they all don't have the exact same dream by any means. They don't remember it, but they all have the same feeling of dread. Like, and they get, they wake up not very well rested. But I digress. Over the next few days, this is what happens. Dandy and Michael fly to Paxwell. It takes three days. That next day, Miasha leaves. All right. By the time Dandy... Oh, and Tabork is on his boat and they're heading towards Darstopia. All this is happening. This is what they're doing during this time period in the first several days. In this time, the following events happen. Darsh and the Chimera, which instead of having a big Samar uh, uh, ceremony for its uh, first voyage and such, uh, gets loaded up and they leave. And the Chimera is a huge ship. Bigger than any Minotaur ship. And it's called the Chimera for a very important reason we'll find out later. But if any of you know what a chimera is, you might be able to pick up a little on this. Um, Darsh has the most diverse crew, probably in the sea, other than maybe the pirate ships with the gnolls and the ogres. Um, but there's elves and gnomes and dwarves and minotaur. There is a, on the chimera, Dorum takes his place as first mate, which was always the plan. Rokar would be taking over the Morgenstern, and he would be the new captain of it. Dorum would be taking over the Chimera, uh, along with Darsh. When Darsh is on the boat, he's the captain. When he's not, Dorum is the captain. Um, they have a third ship they bought now that, unfortunately, I can't find the name for. I looked for like an hour today. He also has another ship slightly smaller than the Morgenstern that Jayla is now on. If you remember Jayla, she, her and her brother were some of his original companions. Uh, her brother was the cook. <laughs> Good cook for a ship's cook. Uh, she has made the captain of the other ship, and her brother went to be the cook on that one. Darsh was unhappy about that. 
but she they promised to find a good cook. Although his potatoes, not quite as spicy. He just can't seem to get the spice right. He likes spicy potatoes. Though he makes a mean pie, so Darce lets it slide. Important facts of D&D that you all need to be aware of. So in this three days, fly to Paxiwal. That's Dandy and Michael. Darsh is on his way to Darstopia. Holland Booty. He probably left you know, a little bit early. Holland Booty to get there. Um, Artemis sends Miyasha. Um, who's that leave? And Mercy. Ah, Mercy. Mercy gets a message. In fact, an invitation. So, a representative of a company arrives inviting Mercy to come to the company's uh, important place. Give me one second while I tell you the name of it. <laughs> so, this company is a pretty cool place. If you'll remember way back in the day, before Serenity was Serenity, the first time they were here, before the Battle of Moonbrook, they went and they saved a bunch of uh, people who'd been captured to be sold as slaves. Seamus was being forced to guard them because his sister was being held prisoner from him. And it was Oromon, those bad pricks, that were the cause of it. And some of you may remember where that was. In what looked like an old mine or quarry, several tunnels that were down in there, there's a whole adventure they had to go down into there and climb through the things and the encampment. Very early adventure when they first came to these lands. Well, in the past year, that land technically unowned. No one actually owned it. Someone moved in there and made it an active and working mine again. And this person was no slouch. They had some money behind them. And they started mining. And, well, they could find a little bit of ore and maybe the occasional gem. They don't, they're not there for gold and silver and, or even iron. That's not really what they're looking for. They're literally there for stone. Because as I've also mentioned, there is a shortage of building stone in this area. And while Mercy is getting a lot of it shipped from Paxiwal, and she's also getting a, she's a, trying to get into the point where she can start getting some from Coromon, uh, uh, having a local option to get at least some of it would definitely be beneficial. And she's sent inquiries about purchase. They're already selling to several of the towns. So far, while she's never met the person who runs it, she's told that he's a pretty good dude. He has fair prices. His He pays well. So the people that work for him, uh, especially some of the folks who may be down on their lock or the farm's not working as well, uh, it's go work in the mine for a season, six months or a year. Um, and make some serious good money doing that. Because uh, he's coming in there and he went into debt right off the bat with his own money to get this up and running. But now it's starting to turn a profit and Mercy's been interested and planning to go out there anyways because it's halfway to the border of um, of what we she call her lands where her border is where Ormond's on the other side of it. So she's been wanting to go and check that and she says, you know, this would be a great opportunity for me to take some of my knights and dad, swing on by there, um, and then uh, we could go and I could show him the defenses because he's going to be traveling through this area into, basically, if you're a Star Trek fan, what is considered the neutral zone. There's a section between Serenity 
and Oramon. That's pretty wide. It'd probably take like a day or two to, or maybe longer to travel on horse. Um, but it's an area that neither side technically claims. And there may be some small towns and maybe the odd farms, a little thing, people trying to huck out a living in that area. Um, but it's mostly empty land. And so it's kind of right at the border. If you'll remember, the southern kingdoms is a mountain range. And on one side of the mountain range is Paxawal, right, on the east side. On the other side is Thorman. So they're always having to sail around to help each other. And the mountain range up at the top goes all the way up. And then beyond that, way up, way up, is Serenity. So her borders kind of not even go to the top of the mountains. The top of the mountain stops, but then there's a big space up there. So the Knights of the Light are going to be skipping under her land completely, coming back down the mountain to set up near Thorman. Um, but this would still be kind of close to their edge as well. Um, so that border neutral zone is about to become a three-way border with the Knights and Thorman taking a more specific stance. So Thorman and the Knights, because Thorman being the smallest of the kingdoms, uh, and they lost a lot in the last war with Ormond, really needs the help. Um, this partnership of them is going to make a much more secure border, which I'm sure Ormond's not going to be happy with either. There is some politics in this story. They're kings and queens now. We're going to see a little bit more of that. So the invitation comes, and they decide that Sir Edward's going to go with them. They're going to use this as an opportunity. Uh, Sir Edward would love to be able to travel with Mercy. She definitely, he doesn't want to waste any of the two weeks. So he's like, of course I'll come too. That would be awesome. They start making plans for that. That was on the second day. On the third day, a message arrives at the temple. One of the Templars arrived and he looks exhausted. He immediately reports to Lucas, who immediately takes the young man to Artemis. And Lucas comes storming in with the young man. And she knew that a messenger had come, probably an update from Yasha or whatever. But when Lucas comes barging in with that worry on his face, Artemis is immediately concerned. And she asks what happened. Lucas tells her that according to the report, the messenger is brought back from Oakleaf, the sickness is much worse than they thought, and Miasha has somehow gone into a comatose state. She's basically in a coma. Her symptoms are almost nothing like anyone else's. But she hadn't been there but six hours before she literally just passed out in the streets while she's looking at people, you know, talking to people and such. And uh, let me get to this specific thing. And so she's been unconscious since... He doesn't know if he's still unconscious, but she, this, this Templar has been racing to get here to tell Artemis because that's serious business. Miasha's pretty powerful. So for her to be wiped out, her natural healing is strong because of connection to the gods and such. Um, but it was... Uh, that's not a good sign. Artemis, of course, as you can understand, incredibly concerned. So... Artemis gathers up a couple of people. Lucas, they make their way over. Or they send, I'm sorry, no, they send a message over to the keep. Artemis, who's, or Mercy, who's now planning a trip, gets this message and races over. And her dad comes with her, as well as Ulrich. And they come over, and they're told what's happening. And they're like, oh, snap. That's not good. If there's a big sickness going on, what do we need to do? And... Artemis is like, well, there's not much you can do against a sickness. Well, he doesn't say that in a rude way, but she's like, if, against this type of thing, swords and axes won't help, you know? Um, 
I know you were heading to go to that. I think you should still do that. I'll head over there. Check it out myself. I'm the only one here stronger healing than Yasha. If she's got something bad, I'm the only one who's going to be able to heal her. So I'll head that way and take care of that. Mercy's like, um, I have a problem with that. And Lucas is like, I'll make sure that I protect her. Artemis is like, yeah, he's not coming. And Lucas like, I have a problem with that. And then just shouts and yells and stuff happen. And Edward's like, okay. These guys are yelling at each other. The queen type person yelling at the guard who's yelling at the cleric. And they're like, this is a weird, we wouldn't expect this type of an arrangement. But he sits back because he's like, okay, they know each other. I'll assume this is what's supposed to happen. Finally, Artemis raised her hands and her friends hush. We're very unhappy about what she's saying. And she's like, Draven's not around. I cannot take Seraph into a land that could be potentially plagued. So he has to stay. Mercy and Lucas are like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And she goes, there's no one here other than you, Mercy, that I would leave my child with other than Lucas. If I'm going to leave him here without me, I want Lucas here to take care of him because protecting Seraph is more important than protecting me. Mercy's like, okay, I can't argue that. I see that, kid. Yes, I get that. And Lucas is like, Ugh. yes, okay, but still. Mercy's like, then I'll go with you. And like, no, you've been given this invitation. I know it's something you've been working on for a while. At this point, there's no army. There's no battle that's happening. People are getting sick. I will take several clerics with me of relative skill, as well as, and this is a name you don't know yet, Weston, I feel he'd be helpful in this situation. And I will go and take a look at this. I will take as many Templars as you want, Lucas. And if you want, and I'll take whoever you want to send. Mercy. But you have to go do what you're going to do, and you're going to stay here and take care of my son. And that is how this is going to work. And she was calm, but firm. And they're like, because mm -hmm, they know that she's right. If I may, says Lord Edward. Sir Edward. And Bell turned to him, he goes, While I'm traveling with my daughter, it would be the honor of my men to help also escort Lady Artemis to the town that you've met. I believe you said it was Oakleaf. My men would literally be overjoyed with the opportunity just to spend time around someone like Artemis. But to know that they could protect her in a situation of this nature? Every one of them would give their lives in a heartbeat knowing that they protected Artemis. This is how the Night of the Lights work. They are. Artemis is... When it comes to gods, next to Minara, goddess of light, her husband is Tavian. Consort, however you want to say it. That's, Mer that's Artemis's god. He's, he's, in their eyes, the second best god. Next to the light, healing. Right? Warriors. So they're like, I have a contingent of men that I can send with you. Few of them can stay here. I can send two of my head knights and a, a, you know half of my contingent to go. They're trained. They're warriors. I'm not saying they're better than any of yours, Lucas, or any of yours, Mercy, but we would be honored to be able to help in this situation. And before Lucas and Mercy can say anything, Aramis goes, and I would be delighted to have them. Lucas and Mercy are like, because she knows if she tries to say... Taking on more protection, more likely she's going to get less arguments from Mercy 
and from Lucas. And in this situation, I'm playing Lucas. The other young lady who's playing D&D is playing Mercy, and the other one's playing her. This is three of us having a conversation in character. Most of what I'm telling you right now, like this very moment, it was just three of us for ten minutes arguing. Because one was trying to convince Artemis, no, you can't. Because in her mind, I'm going to do something to get Artemis if she's not there to protect her. I'm Lucas playing the same route. And Artemis is trying to explain why everybody needs to do what they need to do. It was a very, very cool role-playing moment where we were all in character for like 10 minutes having an argument as our characters. And we all got into it, too. It was, it was, it was heated. I loved it. And then when the decision was made, uh, we went to my car, drove down to the pilot where they got uh, coffee, and I got snacks. That happens in the middle of every D&D group. We run down to the pilot, they get coffee, and we all buy snacks. So, <laughs> that ends up becoming the plan. This is what's going to happen. At that time that that decision is being made, Dandy and Michael arrive in Paxival. They are looking about. Casually, I mean, Hippogriff's landing, they had them land a little ways out. So they didn't land in the middle of the city and freak anybody out. Uh, but Fire Moon's people have occasionally shown up on Hippogriffs. They're allies, so it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that people would hop off. Um, and they start, you know, they drop them off just out, barely outside of visual of the city, and they walk in from that point. Because they're going to meet rogues. They're like, we don't want you to land in. We want to maybe sneak in a little bit. Find an inn, get a room, sneak out of the room in the middle of the night. We'll pay for it. We're not jerks. And then sneak into the city at nighttime when, in case anybody is watching, thinking we're sleeping there. Because Dandy and Michael are not unnoticeable. The way they dress, the big old Menandra on his back, Dandy being a kender with a shirt. I mean, there's a lot of things. People know of them. People would recognize them. Um, they would stand out. So sneaking in might be their best bet. Being open about the fact that they're spending the night in the inn. This was their plan. We're going to go in the inn, get a thing. We're going to sneak out in the middle of the night. But real open about how awesome it is to get to stay and how excited tomorrow we're going to go in in the morning and see this, make a big deal out of it, and then sneak out and you know in the middle of the night. So that's what they did. Um, and they used sneaky tactics. There were many roles for the things they were trying to do. They don't know if anyone was watching or following them. Uh, but they assumed it, and so they were acting as if they were. So, um, they sneak into the city. Um... Let me grab that. I apologize, because I've got, like, all of one character story, all of another's, but they're all mix-matched together. Woo! Hang on now. Hold up. Kitty's jumping all over the place. Scared me. Um, there we are. Okay. Michael, stay well. Got that. Did that. Did that. <laughs> Excellent. So then we go into the next day. This next day... Everybody has something happening. And I'm still going to be doing them one at a time. I wish the cats would stop walking across the keyboard. One of these days they're going to shut the game off. Or <laughs> shut the thing off. Uh, but uh, as they're going through, telling us, you know, each one, I'm still giving each one their story for the next day. So now each one is playing a day. That's how we did this from this point. And that's important. And I'll make you aware of why when we get there. But it's important that everyone knew what they were doing on the same day each day. You know, this is something I'd never done DMing before, 
but I wanted to try it out and I felt it went real well. I'm hoping it comes across as well for the story, but uh, <laughs> great for the story, but it worked out well the way we were playing it. So that next day, Danny and Michael have already snuck inside Paxwell. They're, they've changed their clothes. They're wearing some raggedies and such. Uh, Michael has wrapped up Menander in some leather, making it look like just, you know, with a couple other pieces of wood, he bundled it up on his back, so it looks like he's just carrying a bunch of maybe sticks or firewood, looking like, you know, poor person maybe going to sell some wood. Uh, Dandy's hoop pack is tucked in there as well, uh, and so she's put on some dirty clothes. She's pulled her hair down. She's wearing a hood. She just looks like a young girl, like this is maybe a young boy and young girl if you don't see their faces real well, because they're short, remember. You're going to be young, young, early teenagers off to sell their wares at market or whatever the case may be. It's a disguise they've used a couple other times, but I've never had to bring it up. Um, but it's something that they're used to doing. And they immediately start looking for signs of the Thieves' War and the Guild and One-Eye that she's technically a part of. Um, we're going to start with Artemis, though, before we go deep into that. I need to stress that, well, I said that every day happens. I want to point this part out. It takes three days for Artemis and her escort to get to this town of Oakleaf. Again, it's a ways out there. They're not traveling quite as fast because of what's going on. And they didn't get out there as quickly as they were hoping. Because now they're gathering Templars. Now they're gathering this. They're making their way. They send a message ahead saying that they're coming. Now... Traveling with them are two of the knights in charge of the Knights of the Light. Sir Dante and Sir Snyder were chosen by Edward to come with them. They're leading the half of the Knights of the Light that are there. Um, there's a small group of Mercy's knights or men there, and the, their uh, person that Mercy chose to send is Seamus. Seamus is traveling with them, and Seamus has never been really out on an adventure, just the two of them with Artemis, so he's pretty uh, excited about it. And then leading the Templars is Weston. Not talked about Weston yet. Weston has been alluded to to the characters, but never really got to interact with them. They've, I've talked to them that Weston lives there now at the temple, um, but he's never really been involved in stuff until right now. Weston is a paladin. Artemis has been attracting clerics of all sorts and type, as well as uh, warriors of the cloth, you'd say, which end up becoming Templars. But Weston is the first paladin. Hearing of the good deeds of Artemis and her friends are doing and how they're helping people, Weston felt this would be a good place to also lend his assistance. And Weston is relatively young, early to mid-twenties himself, Long, blonde hair, very Brad Pitty, uh, Legends of the Fall kind of look, if you will. Um, shiny armor of silver and gold, because he's a knight of the light, even more than the Templars are. He is a warrior of God. He has paladin powers. He's also hardcore lawful good, which means uh, you do anything that's slightly shady, he's going to have a problem with it. Um, but he's no slouch. Weston's got a few levels on him. Weston very quickly... Uh, takes a place, he's like, hey, I'm a paladin, but I also want to be part of the Templars. Take my turn at guards. I am but a symbol, uh, but a simple servant of the lords. 
and I'm happy to scrub the bathrooms and sweep just like everyone else. Nothing is too below me. If you want me to just be a janitor, I'll do it. And they're like, no, you have military training. We're going to bring you into the Templars. He takes turns on guards, very quickly learns he has skills. So at times he also will lead patrols and things on behalf of the temple. Because why not? A paladin in charge? That's handy. So Weston is chosen by Lucas to come. Because not only is he a paladin, but he's got some mojo with some healing abilities and stuff himself. Also detecting evil and things of that nature. Paladins almost always have a 15-foot radius of detect evil going. Like, they, if somebody evil was within 15 feet, you're like, that one, and that one. I mean, it's kind of how it works, depending on how powerful they are, of course. Sometimes they can hide it. It took a bit to get Weston to be okay with Draven. That was something we did role-play a little outside of the story itself, but their first meeting... Um, he was not liking the idea of Draven. He was completely against the idea of Draven. He walked in the room with Draven, shook his hand, and he was fine because he didn't set off his detect evil even a little bit. Uh, it worked out really well. But he, uh, he came there thinking that Artemis was being uh, bespelled by a vampire demon, uh, assuming he was going to have to kill Draven, and then ended up... He's, he's, Draven's like, kind of like Thor, and, uh, and he's like, I like her, I proof. She's okay. And it's like, yeah, I like him. He's good. And, and at the same time, someone of his capabilities, Draven's like, I like having someone like this around you. Someone who could detect evil in 15 feet. Something even he can't do. You're like, I like the thought that there's someone around you who can sense that just all the time. It's not something he has to turn on. It's always working. At least in 2nd edition. I haven't figured out Paladins in 5th edition yet. Um, so Dante and Snyder are leading them. Weston is leading the Templars. Seamus is leading the uh, Warriors of Serenity. So three contingents of no less than uh, 10 to 15 each. There's like 30 to 35 people. A few other clerics here. This is not a fast-moving train. Several other young clerics of medium level who are going to be there to also help if needed. Artemis sent a couple other more clerics to um, Moonbrook because while they didn't hear it got worse, can't take chances. So over the next three days... It takes them to get to this town. Why is that important? Because I told you it had been th the third day when all this happened. Remember, it took three days up until that point. Now it's taking her three days. It has been six days since they had those funky nightmares. For Artemis, she's on the sixth day since that happened. It takes three days for Artemis and her escort to make it to the town of Oakleaf. On the journey, she has many opportunities to talk to the Knights of Light, who appear to hold her in reverence. Most are in quiet awe when spoken to. They are a very serious group of men, and they are taking their charge of protecting the clerics very seriously. The two knights in charge, Sir Dante and Sir Snyder, are both very courteous and friendly. While Artemis is in charge, they made it very clear that they were ordered to protect Artemis and would not allow her to put herself in harm's way. The same thing that Lucas tells Weston and Weston tells her. Same thing. She doesn't like that, but what's she going to do? The person who was enjoying the trip the most was Seamus. Being from a different world than any of the Knights of the Light, this was his first real experience with them. He had heard Ulrich speak of them often, and secretly he hoped to see them in action. He was impressed by their actions, uh, but quickly came to see their rigidness. Seamus spent every moment within eyesight of Artemis. The big man accompanied her everywhere, even sleeping outside of her tent. 
He had been charged with her protection by his lady, and he refused to fail in this charge. Um, Weston also divides his time between the Knights of the Light um, and the clerics and such. He's also intrigued, being from a world where the Knights of the Lights are. He has seen organizations like theirs, and sometimes, just because you're a good person does not mean you're corrupt. These guys seem pretty cool. Uh, they got, she got to meet Edward before he left. Edward seemed like a pretty stand-up guy. Had the, he was like, huh, he could have probably been a paladin, that kind of thing. Uh, he is also impressed with how important it is them to revere and protect the light. As the caravan finally reaches the outskirts of the town, it's early afternoon. People start coming out of their homes, waving at Artemis and everyone else. Again, Artemis is a celebrity in all of the towns around Serenity. As the highest-ranking holy figure in the land, she was the nation's spiritual leader, and all doors were open to her. As they approach the town, Artemis, uh, a gentleman, comes out to meet them. His name is Dwayne. And I, I, it was named after a friend of mine whose name is Dwayne, so that's why his name is Dwayne, because Dwayne's a friend of mine. Uh, he said his name is Dwayne, but I called it Dwayne. I like putting a apostrophe in names, and it bugs my friends to no ends. But Mayor Dwayne is here, um, and he says that uh, the town is in a, is in a panic. More, in, in the couple of days it's taken them to get there, more and more people have gotten sick. Um, he has ordered that everyone just stay in their home unless, you know, have no choice. Uh, at this point, there are over 40 people ill and six people have died. Most of the people who are infected that have died have died within 48 hours of their original infection. Um, many of the ones that are ill have been ill longer than that, but anyone who has died, died very quickly after getting it. Right now, Miyasha is, as I mentioned, still in a coma, and she's in the uh, small temple that's in this town. There is a temple here, I mentioned that. Um, and she's in there because it's technically sanctified ground, and it's the safest place for her if there is something even going on. They're aware that Quan, at this point, has not shown any symptoms of the sickness, although he is guarding Miyasha and will allow no one but a cleric to walk into her room. Anytime anyone goes to her room, he's awake. And he's standing there looking. And if you're not a cleric that he knows, you do not get to come into that room. And as those days have progressed, he's looking more and more tired. And it's believed that he may not have slept in days. But of all of them, uh, he's the closest to a monk character. Um, he, he, uh, he'll, he'll finally get to this point. He's going to pass out too. But he's got a little bit more stamina in these things. He's not taking any chances. No one's coming in except someone he knows that's trusted. Artemis, Seamus is fine. Weston would be fine. If Mercy was here, Mercy, Lucas, any of the people that he knows. Immediately, even though there's many sick and ill, Artemis goes to the temple first. Not only does she need to check these other clerics in and make sure that, check them in, you know, make sure that they've got what they need, she has to check on Miyasha. Miyasha's symptoms are different than everyone else's, and that's a concern. And on top of that, Miyasha's an incredibly powerful healer. She can get her healed and up and going again. She may be the help that she needs, right? Why not? Second hand, right there. Top two clerics uh, of healing in the entire nation are standing in your town. Anyone's going to cure whatever this is. Those two together have a much better chance of doing it. Guys, you've got to stop walking on my keyboard. <laughs> Cats have walked across this a hundred times. All right, so she goes there first. Uh, they're escorted. Now, the Knights of the Light... Um, 
they are uh, they have decided that they, what they've decided is they're going to take a perimeter around the city right and Seamus has ordered the rest of his men to do the same thing so they're kind of surrounding the city they're not letting anyone in right now this place just got quarantined some people are not going to be happy about that but they're like we don't know what's going on we're not going to bring all of these people in and potentially get more sick now, maybe that one of the head knights may come in. You know, Weston is 100% coming in. He's got a second in charge that he can leave out there. And Seamus is coming in, right? The, all the Templars are coming in. There, there's no option about that. Mercy, or sorry, Artemis does not get to go anywhere without all the Templars. They're all coming in, but with Weston and Seamus. They make their way to the temple. Um, so the Knights of Light stayed out. Now... This caravan was very wide, right? A lot of group of people, um, long groups, people there. So not everybody got to meet everybody, uh, but most people got introduced at one point or another. But uh, some they don't know each other really. Seamus may have met these knights and befriended a couple of them, but he doesn't know them all by name. So most of them are still miscellaneous knights. So I'm not going to be naming off all 10 knights of the light, all 20 Templars. We'll just assume when I say Templars and knights, those are people that... They know at least a little bit because they brought them with them. Clarifying that point. They enter into the, as they go into the temple, Weston uh, takes a moment to tell Artemis that at this point he's not sensed anything out of miss, aka protection from evil, detect evil. No, you're going to stay over there this time. Thank you. No, hold on a second. I got a kitty who's being a poop. Stay over here. No, stay there. Um, but he's like, I'm not sensing anything I miss. She's like, I like that. Thank you. And they walk onto the temple grounds and when you're magical mojo of that nature, walking onto sanctified ground, you can sense that. They're like, okay, the ground's still sanctified. Not sensing any corruption here. That's cool. Maybe not all clear is good. Um, Miasha may even struggle with it, but Weston being a paladin and Artemis at her level, uh, they definitely would. And they don't feel anything amiss in the temple. Um, the Templars are happy to wait outside the temple. Inside the temple, that, that's that's safe spot. They're good. There's already some Templars of their group there. Um, they kind of relieve them and so on and so forth. But Seamus, Weston, and uh, Artemis head inside to check on Miyasha. Uh, to say that Quan is relieved to see them is an oh big-time understatement. Quan looks like he would take out an army or pass out unconscious at any moment. Bags under his eyes. He looks thin. Uh, he'd probably been peeing in a bucket. Like, he has not left this room. Whatever food they bring him, he eats, but he's eating sparingly because he doesn't know what's going on. Mostly he's living off the food he brought in his own pack, which wasn't a lot. So, you know, uh, there's that. Some of the clerics that he knows and are familiar with can come in and help attend to Miyasha and washing or things like that nature. He'll turn around, you know, because you know, want bed sores and any of that kind of stuff. Because, uh, you know, there are some good people here he knows and can trust. But if you're not one of those clerics, you do not get in the door. Does not happen. And he's putting chairs up behind the door and you got to knock really hard to get his attention. That kind of thing. Um, here we go. Now, uh, of the one of the two knights, Dante, because there's Dante and Snyder, Dante is going to go inside of them. Snyder stayed outside to get everything set up. I, I forgot to say that. So Dante goes inside of them. Uh, let's see. Get to the temple, get taken to the back room. Quan is excited to see them, allows them in. Um, Artemis, while looking at her, can tell that she's 
very pale, her breathing is very shallow, and she definitely has a fever. Um, the people who have the sickness in town have some of that, again, uh, no coma, no one's had a coma, uh, but uh, fever, uh, blisters in their mouths, and maybe around their eyes, and so like blisters and things, um, uh, definitely uh, bloody and runny noses, coughing out really funky colored phlegm, uh, coughing fits, uh, difficulty in breathing, stuff of that nature. So, not exactly what Miyasha has, but still kind of funky. Now, during this time, because I'm covering a three-day span, right? I did a three-day span there. So for Artemis, she's there on the sixth day since their nightmare. It takes Dandy and Michael three days to find out what a Whispering Hills is and to get there. It turns out Whispering Hills was the name of a town very close to the edge of the base of the mountains uh, to the uh, northwest of Paxawal. Um, it was, oh, just a reminder, it's 10.30. Oh, it is 10.30. Oh my God, I didn't realize how late it was. I'm just going to finish this up real quick and then we'll do that. Well, I'll finish up. Thank you, Teresa. Did not realize it was 10.30. I appreciate the warning. Uh, let me just get to a snip here at the end, a good place to stop it. So they realize, they, they're doing some search and asking around, finally realize that Whispering Hills is what the name of a town used to be before the merge in the direction I said, up a cloud. It used to be a lumbering town, they're told. Uh, but after the merge, there was no lumber. They were at the base of a mountain. So it's become a mountain mining town, supposedly at this point, after a little bit of rough time. Uh, they don't not, they haven't really asked for a lot of help from Paxawal or anything like that. Uh, they're, you know, a day, day and a half away. Um, but they do occasionally, people will come in and sell mining ore and things, because that's always wanted anywhere. Basically, these mountains are relatively rich. So there's much larger mining operations, but from this small town, some people will occasionally come in. So it's not a real wealthy town. It's an okay-sized small town. Uh, it has a new name that I haven't found in the book yet. I'll have it by next time. Uh, but that's why nobody recognized it, is no one knew it by that name. That's what its name was before the merge. They discover this by asking around and Dandy checking with her own uh, resources. Right? Um, and they went and talked to their... Uh, remember there's the dwarf, their friend who's like the hunter, where they get a lot of the hunting stuff. They go and they check in with him. Everything seems okay. Uh, he said he hasn't... He's heard about the, the fighting and such, but... Uh, doesn't know anything about this town. But he's one who asks around and comes back because he's got more contacts than anyone with maybe the exception of, of you know, nobody. Of one eye himself. Uh, and his, his, nobody. You can't, listen. Hang on a second. We'll run your chair. Come on. You can't come over there. Um, it's one of those things where he has a lot of contacts for the hunting of undead. And he comes back and he's like, okay, I found it. Here's what, this is what you're looking for. So, Dandy and Michael find it and start heading that way, getting out of town without any problems or issues. There's a couple of times Dandy thought they might be being followed, but using her intelligence and what she's taught Michael, they were able to lose that type of thing. Um, although she never did get a quite look at anyone like she did uh, back in the Kingdom of Firemoon. But they start making their way towards Whispering Hills, what it was called, and arrive at the morning of the third day. 
And that's where we'll continue from that point, because they've got some things that happen on this third day while Artemis is there. And then I haven't even got to the third day of Darsh and Mercy yet. Or no, the sixth day, because... So, we'll call that one for today. Now, for those of you who may not know, Merge Worlds is now a weekly series every Thursday from 8 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I continue this story, so the next episode will be next week. This is episode 41. Episode 40 will be up on iTunes and Spotify tomorrow. This episode will be up the day after. If I put up more than one in a day, it puts them out of order for some reason. So I had some issues with 37 and it went up wrong. So it took me long. I couldn't put up any of the other ones until I could get 37 fixed. But 37, 38, and 39 all went up this week. 40 will be up tomorrow. Don't know what time. Because it just checks every so often. Once I post it on my website, every so often iTunes and Spotify realize that it's there. They check my site to see if there's a new one and they pull it in. And it's weird cycles and iTunes is does it less often than Spotify. So they don't always pop up at the same time. But 37, 38, 39 are up there. 40 will be tomorrow. 41 will be the day after that. Um, hopefully you'll come by and see that. Listen, kitties, you're getting on my nerves. No. Now, um, tomorrow morning... There will be a stream from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, we'll be continuing our adventures in Skyrim. That's been a lot of fun. I enjoyed playing that so far. I appreciate everybody's come and visit that. If you like Merge World stuff, if you like fantasy, that might be something you'd like to see me play. Come swing by. We'll be doing that for four hours. Then I have to do my miserable second small part-time job. And then I'll be back again tomorrow night at 9.30 to midnight for Minecraft Stoneblock 2. So we've got two streams tomorrow. 10 a.m. to 2, and 9.30 p.m. to midnight. And that one may go over a little bit, depending on what we're doing. Um, so we've got two streams tomorrow. Saturday is the exact same thing. 10 to 2 for, for the morning game, 9.30 at night till midnight for the night one. So that's going to be what my most of my days look like, the early day and the night stream. Yesterday and today are the days I'm off my second job, so I have longer streams and more stuff I get to do in there. Um, like yesterday we did, what, a six-hour Skyrim stream? Um, and then we did a Jackbox members stream. Probably going to move the members night stream to a different day of the week next month. Uh, a lot of people were not able to make it in the middle of the week. So I may move that to a Friday or Saturday night next month. I'm going to talk with the members about that. If you're a member, I'd love to hear your feedback in the Discord channel. But I'm going to call that a day. Thank you all for coming by and letting me tell my tale. I appreciate it. If you listen to this, whether you're listening to it now, later, or 10 years in the future, I'd love it if you'd like to click like on this. Um, if you haven't, be sure to subscribe to the channel so you can hang out with all of our good stuff, all of our fun adventures, streams, and stories. We'd also love to have you as a member of our Discord channel. Again, if you go to my website, onlydraven.com, you'll find a link to all my social medias. There's a social media contest. The post I put up yesterday because I have one site that posts them all. I just realized today it didn't go up. And the one I posted for today, which I pre-scheduled, did not go up. So I'm not sure why they didn't. I apologize. I will manually start putting them up again tomorrow uh, because the automated thing is not working. But there's a contest going on. I have four different social medias, two Instagrams, one of them for this, Merge World, uh, an official Only Driven Gaming Facebook page, and my Twitter. Uh, follow those accounts each day when I put the contest post up. Um, if it's Instagram, just click like on it. That's two for each one you click like on. That's two entries into the drawing. Uh, Facebook, like and share. Twitter, like and repost, reblog, whatever. Uh, that gets you a one there as well. So you can get your name in the hat four times a day maximum out of this. And at the end of the month, I'm going to be giving away a $50 Steam gift card, $30 
gift card to the ODG store. That's on my website where you can get Merge World and other ODG merchandise and a $20 uh, Amazon gift cards. So the more you can, you can go back and get the old posts if you missed them. As at the end of the month, I'm gonna count them up. So everyone that you followed, liked, and shared, that's another time your name is in the hat for the drawing. So would love to have you there. We also have a membership program. Want some cool perks for a little, very little money? $2.99 a month. It's like a Twitch sub, except cheaper. Click the join button on my YouTube channel. You'll see all the cool things that it comes with. If that's something you're interested in, you'd like to support the channel, that's a great way to do it. If you'd like to donate or tip to the channel, there's a link down in the description here. There's also a link on my website and on my regular YouTube channel. All the links in the upper right-hand corner of the socials. There's one there you can link. Uh, you can donate via uh, PayPal, credit card, if you'd like to. Again, never, ever required but always appreciated uh, if you'd like to support the channel. But I'm going to call that a day. Thank you for coming by and listening to my tale. Special thank you to my members um, for helping keep this channel afloat, as well as those of you who have been donating. And an extra special thank you to my moderators, who do such a good job of reminding me when I've been talking past 10.30. <laughs> you guys have yourselves a wonderful evening. Hopefully we will see some of you tomorrow morning uh, or tomorrow night for another stream. So call that a day. You guys have yourselves a wonderful evening and thank you for listening to my tale.